The following podcast is brought to you by cdkoffers.com. Use offer code broken silicon for 25% off Windows codes and die shrink for 3% off all other codes. And then it is also brought to you by the henma.com. Use Moore's Law for 10% off your first order of coffee. All right, let's get to the show. Okay, welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Tom. Uh, I will let my, let me see, my usual co-host introduce himself quick. Hey, Dan. And then I will let my guests for the first time with me and Dan introduce themselves as well. Hello, I am Tech. And I'm Rogue. And we are Tech Deals, another tech-focused YouTube channel. Now, I would say there's been a lot of people asking me to have you on the podcast for a while, and I get the impression a lot of people have been bothering you, too. Uh, We have had multiple people in our own Discord say, hey, you should uh, do this podcast thing with uh, Moore's Law is Dead because they have really good conversations that are right up your alley. So here we are. (laughs) And I just want to say thank you very much for the invitation and for having us on. It's, uh, It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, no. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I've got two reader mails in uh, from supporters right away. Hector Santana saying he's overwhelmingly excited. I love all of you guys. And then Carrie Trainer editor says, nice to have tech deals on. You have the best SSD and MBME reviews. Aw, thank you. <laughs> and I actually, that's like a few of them. I, I didn't read all of the <laughs> all of these submissions that were just, but yeah, people are very excited. So I don't know. I'm not sure exactly if there's somewhere you want to start. But I mean, I watched one of your recent streams and you were breaking down one of your recent builds. I think it was called the Centurion or something. Um, And it was the i7-8700K, 16 gigabytes at 3200 megahertz memory, uh, 1080 Ti, and a couple of SSDs, of course. So I just thought we could do a launching off from there like looking back at that build from 2017 with like a you know 12 thread i7 and 1080 ti is there any things you would have changed in hindsight to that build not within the budget that was there uh the interesting thing about that it was it was two thousand dollars to put that together in 2017 and you Mm -hmm. could just about build that today in 2020 for half the price for about a thousand using a Ryzen 5 3600. Mm-hmm. And RAM prices have dropped, SSD prices have dropped. You could use a less expensive motherboard, et cetera. But you also would not have had the enjoyment of that computer for the past three years. So it's certainly cheaper. But if you'd bought it back then, you still actually have a pretty good computer. Yeah, that's always, I think right now, a lot of people are, or at least I'm constantly asked, you know, what should I get? to future-proof, you know, especially with the next-gen consoles and looking at the coprocessors they have. And they're just like, oh, so I should get a thread ripper so I have enough threads to handle this. <laughs> and it's just like, nah, man, I look, I understand there was this period in time where if you got a 2,500K, whatever, in like 2011 or 2010, actually, I think, um, then yes, technically, you probably could have got by with seven years without getting a new CPU. But from my point of view, that's because there was stagnation and the stagnation's just gone. 
So there's always something better around the corner again. And it's been a while since I was much younger, actually, that it felt like there was always something great the next year. That is true, because what happened was AMD didn't show up to the party for a number of years because bulldozer just never turned into what they were hoping it was. And the truth is they've kind of on the side admitted this at a couple points where uh, their former head of product development made a comment saying that once they came out with bulldozer, they were kind of stuck with it for five years because of mm-hmm. the lead time of product development. Uh, Ryzen began development back in like 2012 after bulldozer launched and it just, it takes years to come up with an entirely new architecture. I had an i5 2500K. I remember that and it was good, although I ended up twitching to an i7 because I do a lot with computers. But yeah, me too. There's lots of people who had an i5 2500 who are young enough, respectfully, who don't remember 20 years ago because they, they weren't into PCs. And to them, the past 10 years are normal. And so they're like, well, what can I buy that'll last me eight years? And my response today is nothing. At least not at the top of the benchmark charts. Like it might keep gaming. If, like for instance, if you have a 3950X right now, I have a hard time believing that won't run games for the next 10 years. But no, it's not going to be the highest performing CPU for the next 10 years like you kind of got with i7s back then. Right. If if you had bought an i7 2600K in 2011, you can still play AAA games. They're not great. They're not perfect, but you can. Um, keep in mind, though, that an i7 2600K was $329, whereas a 3950X is $700. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of money to future-proof. Yeah. And that's why I'd say don't bother. Were you going to say something, Dan? Yeah, I mean, like for my part, that's when I got into the PC gaming space. And it's like uh, when I started, we were using GDDR5 RAM. Uh, <laughs> we we had four cores, eight threads. And up until 2017, that was the standard. And like this new line of GPUs that's coming out this year is the first time we're not going to have GDDR5 in the lineup, really. So, yeah, I, <laughs> I mean, for my part, I've been in the stagnant market the entire time I've been a PC gamer. And it's almost weird, like seeing actual advancement in the market now. You know, and I would also add on that I don't think it's a coincidence how many people are used to a stagnant market. I mean, there was the economic downturn in 2008. And so then the 360 and PS3 generation went on for ever, forever. And so I think you had a lot of people that joined PC gaming in like late 2011 to 2013, right around Sandy Bridge, because they were just... Sick. They were sick of these old sluggish consoles. And and then you also had a lot of people, I think, specifically migrate from 360 to PC gaming around then as well. And so there's just a lot of people that really came in around Maxwell and Haswell and Sandy Bridge generations. And so that's also why so many people now don't remember it back then is, I mean, I just remember that's when the whole PC master race cor- uh, culture started around that time period. That's when you had the steamed, uh, steam sales memes going crazy. That was really one of the golden ages of PC gaming that everyone kind of flocked into. Well, I don't know if you remember these. These yeah, This might be before your time. Uh, we've had the, the whole console versus PC master race thing once before, and it was in the mid-90s. Yeah, I don't remember it specifically, but I've read about it, actually, if you go back long enough and online. When the Nintendo 64 and the first PlayStation came out in 95, 
everybody who was a console fan at the time were sort of pointing at PCs going, you know, haha, you don't have 3D acceleration. You guys can't do any of this stuff. And then one year later in 96, when the Voodoo card came, 3DFX first launched, and it blew away mm. with the consoles. I mean, uh, the, the first <laughs> yeah, it wasn't even close. 3DFX card made the place the original PlayStation look terrible. Everybody, a lot of I, I see people say that the PlayStation Five and the Xbox Series X are like they are so far ahead of PCs. Uh, PCs will take years to catch up. PCs are, you know, the this. Come on, guys! Six months after the consoles launch, PCs are just going to go ahead. So this, let's actually have this conversation now, then, because I knew this would be a discussion. I I think it's kind of a bit. In the middle, I think um, there's no doubt in my mind that, well, I mean, it depends how much you want to spend too. Like for instance, in the nineties, one thing I would point out is that PCs were, PCs are so much cheaper now, especially if you take into account inflation. I mean, I remember, I talk about consoles a lot too, because I'm really interested in both PC and consoles. And I remember someone saying like, oh, the PS2 was so much weaker than this and this and this. And it's like, oh yeah, it was wildly weaker than a strong gaming PC back then. But I remember even like the weak IBM PC my parents had was like three grand. So it's like, yes, PCs were significantly faster back then, but it feels like you can build a decent gaming PC for a third the price of what you used to relative to. So so I think you got to keep that in mind. But going on to these current consoles, I, I actually am of the opinion that... The consoles are a little different from each other, but like the, it's basically a next gen enterprise SSD and the PS5. Now, there will for sure be ways to get around that. And I think people are underestimating how powerful Ampere and RDNA 2 might end up being this fall, but they're going to cost a lot more for a bit. And I, and I, I'm, I'm personally expecting some of this awkwardness with PC and console ports that we saw at the beginning of the PS360 gen where those consoles launched. The 360 had six threads, you know, three cores, uh, six threads with hyper-threading, and the PS3 effectively had six full cores that were hard to program for. And then on PC, we were mostly using dual cores. So you had a lot of ports that were like not handled well because of how different the PC and the consoles were. And the consoles genuinely had advantages then like that processor. But of course, they didn't have enough RAM. But I'm not sure that's true anymore. They seem to have enough RAM. So I don't know. I just said a lot. Like, what would you say to the the fury of things I just threw all over the place? I think that consoles are an excellent value in terms of the ability to play games without a lot of fuss for a price that has historically always been cheaper than PCs. I made the comment a few minutes ago how 3DFX came out in 96 with the Mm -hmm. Voodoo, and it was four times resolution. The PlayStation was playing at like 320 by 200, and the Voodoo would do 3D at 640 by 480. However, just the 3DFX Voodoo add-in card alone was the price of the entire PlayStation console, not to mention the computer you had to put it into, which was several thousand dollars. So it's a completely fair point. Oh, look at our better graphics. Yeah, look at your price. I hope so. Um, That's a completely fair point. Consoles have traditionally been the deal when it comes to gaming. However, they just game. I mean, yes, okay, they now stream Netflix and, you know, (laughs) HBO, but they, they, they don't run Microsoft Word or Google Sheets. They don't 
they don't do what a general purpose PC does. You wouldn't take a console to school and say, I'm going to do my college, you know, PhD on this. Yeah. So that they're missing that. Uh, here's the thing. The, the new consoles do have more RAM. Um, I do think that this has been a subject of much consternation in my various live streams. I've seen it in a couple of your streams. Go on. Well, I don't think they have enough RAM. Uh, The previous consoles, the PS4 and the Xbox One, had 8 gigs of shared RAM. These new consoles have 16. These things have like 10x the GPU and CPU power, 10x the SSDs, but they only have 2x the RAM. But the reason why they have these high-speed SSDs is, as you saw from the PS5 demo with Ratchet and Clank, they're texture streaming. They're running the textures raw off the, the, the SSDs. A PC will get around this because you're never going to force PCs in the next five years to, to require NVMe. I mean, you're just not going to. But what you can do is put 64 gigs of RAM in an SSD and right. all those worlds in advance, and then it doesn't matter. But now you're telling people they need to spend as much on RAM almost as much as the entire console costs, which is a thing people are worried about. 64 gigs of RAM is $220 right now. Yes, but... That might be actually how much that cheaper Xbox is, because there could be a lower priced one. And there, the at least from what I've heard, is it's going to be two to three hundred dollars. Really? Now again, well, I mean, I just did a video on how I think they're going to get away with it. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot. That's its entire whole discussion there. But I actually think it's just the same SSD, half the RAM, and a much weaker thing. And it's just like, well, it's a Series X, but now it's only 1080p. But a lot of people just want to put in their games and play. And and I guess let me back up, though, because I want to address a few. one thing you said earlier, though, which is I agree about the RAM thing with regards actually to the Xbox Series X. I, I'm pretty sure the initial dev kits had 22 gigabytes, which would have been much better. They, that six gigabyte segment, right, for the system memory was supposed to be 12. And I think they cut it down for cost cutting once they saw the recession hit. That's again, some of this is speculation. Some of this is what's rumored, right? Um, and I and I agree that a segmented 12 gigabyte, uh, 16 gigabytes is not enough. Having said that, from what I've heard, they may be able to just run apps off of the SSD on the PS5 that aren't the game. So I think it's two different discussions, though. I think one of them has more of a RAM problem than the other. Of course, this all remains to be seen. But like you saw in that Ratchet and Clank presentation, the PS5 can clearly use the SSD for some of the tasks RAM are used for. It can. Which is how they make up for that cost, you know. But there were still loading screens. They just masked it nicely. I mean, they're obviously much shorter. And the benefit of a console is you're not running a an operating system you don't control. So you can preempt and force the SSD to give the game priority, which is a benefit consoles will mm-hmm. always have over a PC. Having said that, the RAM in a PS5 is still like 100 times faster than the SSD. I mean, uh, yes, SSDs are awesome, but P- I, th- I think because we never talk about the speeds, people don't realize the hundreds of gigabytes per second the RAM runs at. Right, but which RAM? Because the SSD in the PS5 is actually faster than some DDR2. Right. So yes, the GDR6 is, but if we could use DDR2 though. Isn't the GDR6 in the PS5 it's is it 514 gigabytes per second? Uh it, it's the same as a 5700 XT as of now. Okay. So it's really like insanely fast. I I'm a little concerned about uh the SSDs and how that will uh affect the PC market. I think it will obviously adapt and if I had to guess uh, it will probably be people getting 64 gigabytes of system RAM and 
even in a couple of years, probably 32 to 64 gigabytes of video RAM on their graphics cards, which I don't think is that far out of the horizon. Yeah, it's it, RAM isn't as expensive as people think, honestly. Like that's, but I mean, again, though, I do want to say though, like, so I've looked this up before and made this a big point in one of my videos. Like, if you look at DDR2 speeds, actually, no, the 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 speed of the PlayStation 5's SSD is as fast as DDR2, and that was good enough. That's good enough to run some games, right? Back then, so it is as fast as RAM, though, and that's the th- a thing to consider. And a, and, a, and a SATA SSD just is not even the difference in bandwidth between a SATA SSD and the NVMe drive, and frankly, both the Xbox and the PlayStation Five is actually a larger difference than a hard drive's bandwidth to a SATA SSD. So I just like to put that in perspective. Now, this is a lot of speculation. I don't think you know. I, I think we probably agree that no matter what, right? Your PC now, if it's high end, will be running games this fall fine. And by the time you would need to upgrade to anything resembling what's in the consoles, it'll be out and cheaper than anything out now. So don't try to future proof yourself. Well, that's true. And here's another thought to consider. The big game companies want to sell millions of copies of their games. Mm-hmm. They're not going to release a version of their game that doesn't play on a wide variety of hardware, at least well enough to be enjoyed or or they're limiting their market. I mean, not every game can be crisis. <laughs> yeah. Or cyberpunk, maybe. But yeah, I, I agree. It's just, it's just an interesting conversation we're having now, right? Because if you think about the PlayStation 4, right, that was definitely just weaker than a high-end PC at the time. There's no question. There was none of this discussion. Oh, what's PC going to do? I mean, you still had stupid articles like, the PS4 has GDR5, so your PC sucks. But, you know, that was all BS at the end of the day. But it's interesting, this conversation, it's almost like we're talking about how mid-range PCs may actually hold back console development when it's usually the other way around. And I think that's a thing. Like, I do think like four gigabyte graphics cards with eight gigabytes of DDR4 is now the lowest common denominator uh, pretty easily once these consoles come out. Yeah, but when it comes to the VRAM on a, on a video card, even, even the latest games, four gigabytes is enough, even if you set it to high detail, but you just have to turn the texture detail down. You have to just basically load lower quality textures, but the rest of it is fine. Right. So I think that is probably what's going to end up happening, though, is if you have a mid-range PC with some, right, not all, but some console ports, it's just going to be a lot of turning things down to low settings, which, you know what, you could probably argue has been true with the launch of every gen, pretty much, if you had a mid-range PC, right? Low detail um, today beats the heck out of Ultra 10 years ago. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's not close. Yeah, low detail now looks pretty damn good. So there's not that much really to complain about, even if you're playing on low settings. But let me move on to this reader mail here. So Dominique Cock writes in and he says, Hello, Tom and wonderful guests. For this argument's sake, let's assume the consoles are just both 500. What do you believe regarding a GPU? What performance would a GPU have to offer to justify buying a $500 GPU over just the $500 console? And of course, also, you can say what you want about what features should it also come with. If I was to give an answer to that, it would simply be this. I think that's comparing apples and pears because your graphics card on your computer can do so much more than just play games. If you're buying a $500 graphics card, it's probably going into a $2,000 computer. And if you're Mm -hmm. only interested in its gaming performance, dollar for dollar, you're going to be disappointed versus the new consoles. 
If you're taking into account its content creation performance, its compute performance, its ability to do all the other things a PC can do, that's where the value comes in. And I agree, right? Uh, this is something I've brought up before, which is I had a 7970 for the longest time. I only really got a 390X when it broke. And after that, it's basically been trading between cards. Like, I think I knew the 480 was coming out and would match a 390X roughly. So a week before it came out, I sold it for 300, then got an RX 480 for 240. And then, but then that broke. So, but it was under 30 days. So Amazon refunded me immediately. And so then the Furies went on sale late 2016 for like 300 bucks. So I got a Fury. I'm like, all right, sounds good. I've won out on this exchange. And I got a Vega card, uh, but for content creation and mining. I got Radeon 7 for rendering videos for my YouTube channel. And my point is, I don't know that I would have upgraded from that Fury to this day if it wasn't for content creation. I mean, they play the same... They play the same games, right? I mean, so I, I, I don't. I mean, th that's kind of what I'm saying, though. Is um, I agree with what you're saying that it does more things, but most people that ask me this question seem to pretty much only be using their graphics card for gaming. So, how much more powerful do you think the graphics card needs to be than the console at five hundred dollars to justify getting that over just getting an Xbox or PlayStation? Well, that's kind of a loaded question because that's, mm -hmm. I mean, that's, are we ignoring the cost of the computer? Because I wouldn't buy a $500 graphics card. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. Let's do, let's do that. Because a lot of people already have a desktop, right? And so they want to know, should I get a PlayStation 5 or should I just get a RX 6800 XT or whatever it ends up being called? Because it used to be a good comparison, right? It used to be, I remember at the end of the PS360 generation, you get a $300 graphics card and that will wipe the floor with those consoles in 2010. That's an interesting point because that, that was true then, but it definitely isn't true today. You're not mm -hmm. going to be able to buy a $500 graphics card. The, the, the RX 3070, whenever it launches for, I'm going to just assume $500, which is what the 2070 launched yeah. for. Yeah is not going to blow away the PS5 and the Xbox Series X. It'll probably be in the ballpark. Yeah. yeah. In a blind side-by-side -side test, you probably wouldn't notice much difference. If you want to blow away the new consoles, in my mind, mm -hmm. you're buying an RTX 3080 Ti for whatever stupid money NVIDIA wants. <laughs> I would actually like to have Rogue offer a thought here because she doesn't play AAA games. She okay. plays... Uh, uh, like World of Warship, she's played some Overwatch, uh, casual games. What do you think about spending all this money on fancy graphics cards? Mm, if you want to blow away the console, you're going to have to spend more than $500. Mm -hmm. But it just depends. If, you, if you're playing AAA games, you're going to have to. But if you're playing like what I'm playing, you're not going to have to. But if you're playing AAA games and you don't have the budget, then why not go to the console? I mean, the general consumer here. <laughs> yeah. It, it, yeah, that's, that's kind of, I mean. Another good point you could add, add is we recently did a reaction video between the new PS5 trailers and also a PS4 game. What are your thoughts on the graphics? Yes. For me, I think the reason why I haven't played console games is that the graphics have been too uncanny valley for me. They haven't mm. been... I don't want to say pretty enough, but they haven't been fluid enough for me. 
Whereas on the mm-hmm. PC, it's much more easier on my brain and my eyes. Now, coming over to the PS5 and the Unreal Engine stuff, oh, my goodness, that's incredible. Mm-hmm. So well, that might actually get me to play games on the PS5. Well, that kind of segues way into something I want to bring up, too, which is it depends on which game you're playing. Because, I mean, I'll say me and Dan just got Far Cry New Dawn to play couch co-op and on our ps4s and yeah it runs much worse than far cry on pc does like it's it was definitely like you know kind of the frame rate can be a bit jarring i mean we get used to it i think but there are some games on console that handle it well and i was just kind of hoping going into this next gen that developers would stop with this ridiculous shaky like even unstable 30 frames per second stuff and just say, okay, now we're at the Uncanny Valley. So let's stop trying to make it look photorealistic a little bit. And can we just get 60 FPS as standard? But then I saw <laughs> Assassin's Creed Valhalla announced 30 frames per second, at least right now is the target on the Series X. And I'm just like, so what is it going to take for you to just stop giving us headaches in some of these games? I don't know if that's a question, but I'm just saying it. <laughs> Screen, screenshot sell games, frame rate mm-hmm. does not. Yeah, yeah, that's true. There was there was a time actually. Um, it, it wasn't even that long ago, but when the do, do you remember when the eight thousand series from Nvidia launched Tesla cards and then the Terrace? Yeah, I remember that series. That's about when I I probably got into PC gaming lightly, slightly before then. But yeah, that was a big deal because that that was the transition from seven to 8,000 when we went from the fixed function hardware, there was a certain number of texture units, a certain number of transform and light units. And mm-hmm. all games from the mid 2000s kind of looked the same because they had a certain number of texture fill units, a certain number of lighting units, a certain number of transform units. And not using them all didn't give you resources to do something else. But when the 8,000 series with the unified unified architecture, the, the, the shaders, CUDA course came out, that yeah. allowed game developers to reprogram them and use them for whatever they wanted. And that kind of altered the look of games. It also brought us GPU compute, but that's a separate conversation. Um, the, the point is, there was a time where those new cards created opportunities that didn't necessarily show up in screenshots until the games got rewritten for them. So the question is, why do you buy these new cards? Because your old games don't look any better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But they'll create all these opportunities. And and if you actually go back to that time, the 7,000 series aged very poorly because as soon as the game developer switched over, it kind of obsoleted everything else before it very, very quickly. And the 8,000 series got refreshed twice. The 9,000 series yeah. And the GTX 200 series were just rebranded. And they kept rebranding it as like what the GTS 240 or something and over and over and over Agnosium. I I kind of look at this new because both of these consoles have hardware ray tracing. Now granted yes. it's very weak, but it has <laughs> sure. it technically has them and all the new cards this fall have them and with the AI cores which Nvidia calls Tensor and AMD will obviously call something else. What you're going to see over the next three years is as game developers switch to these new consoles and they start writing games that expect at least some ray tracing cores and they expect some AI cores, all the hardware before today is going to be a period in time Mm -hmm. and there'll be a before and after. That's my opinion. 
I couldn't agree more. And this was something I talked about with my last guest, not an Apple fan, where we discussed how, like, I've always been playing around with this thing of like, oh, the next GPUs may be wildly powerful. The next gen consoles, you know, don't buy a 2080 Ti because this is going to make that look like silly waste of money. And at the end of the day, I I just think everything coming out about eight months from now and late, well, I guess maybe just four months from now and onward, um, is going to just change everything before it. And there's like, I I couldn't agree more that it's just going to be, it's not just Ampere. It's not just Big Navi. It's also the consoles and they're all using similar new tech that's just, and that's why I just think now is probably kind of bringing it a little full circle. One of the worst times to future-proof, frankly. Absolutely. I've gotten a lot of criticism, even from my own fans, over the past six months. I have not been recommending uh, Navi RX 5700, RX 5600 XT. I've been saying, don't buy it. Go buy an RTX 2060 Super. Go buy an RTX 2070. And they're like, but the 5700 XT is faster for less money. But the 5700 is faster than a 2060 with two more gigs of VRAM. Tech, what are you talking about? You're crazy. You're recommending a slower card that costs more money. I'm like, yes. But it has technology that you'll be grateful for in six months. I think first-gen Navi, because it lacks that, it could be six months from now. It could be 12 months. It could be 18 months. But I think those cards will age poorly relative to the RT. Even though the first-gen RTX is pretty weak, it at least has them. At least when the first generation of console game ports get brought over with with DirectX 12 Ultimate built into them, they'll at least run. So I actually do disagree. And I suspect some of the people yelling at you are fans of my channel because it's something I've harped about. Here's what I'm going to say. And and again, some of this is like, ah, maybe, you know, choose if you want to believe this is going to pan out or not. So far, it's worked out well. My biggest video basically yet was this set of information I worked through with a couple sources from within NVIDIA going over what's in Ampere. And one of them directly said to me, um, Turing will run ray tracing like Kepler runs DirectX 12. That's what he said to me. So I'm just going to say my opinion. I don't think Turing's going to age that much better overall than Navi. I just think everything's going to look like a bucket of crap once we have Ampere and Big Navi out. Again, though, right? We don't know until we know. So you're kind of, you know, I, I, I think you need to think twice about upgrading in general right now. I'm not actually convinced Turing will offer you any level of extra future proofing because from what I'm told, Ampere will ray trace four to five times better to the point where it's like it, it, the difference. I One benchmark I was given was Minecraft RTX. And he said the Titan RTX, if you crank up ray tracing in Minecraft, is running at like 30 frames, whereas this is running at about 150 frames on uh, one of the top Ampere cards. And so so you could you you have a point. It will run it to some degree. But when the difference is a factor of five, I'm not sure it's really effectively any extra future proving. One of the calculations I make when I make that advice is if you go to sell your video card at 18 months, a year post console launch, what's going to sell better on eBay? 
non-art, non-ray tracing first gen. Always Mac. NVIDIA cards, whether you like it or not, would be my answer, actually. It doesn't even matter if it's Turing. <laughs> they always hold their vol- value higher. <laughs> part of part of my my purchase recommendations, it, well, you, you said you watched a piece of my i7-8700K deconstruction. Mm-hmm. That CPU is three years old. They're still selling for $300 used on yeah. eBay, which is, which is crazy, but they are. Right. Um, so it, it, part of my, I, I look at the total cost of ownership. Part of the value equation is what do you buy it for? But what might you be able to sell it for in three years? Because if you pay an extra 20%, but you keep 50% of its value, you actually got a deal. Yeah, but what happens, here's my concern. And again, I'm not, I'm not really disagreeing. I'm just... I just I just worry it's not going to hold value as well as some people think it might just because I mean the the basically so here's the math you do right so let's say it turns out to be true you know I let's say my source was Jensen Wang for argument's sake <laughs> and so How's his let's say it's doing? <laughs> uh he just got a new one he he gets one for every new GPU launch and so he's picking one out right now but um Let's say it's four times better ray tracing. Well, that means a 3060 is going to ray trace better than a 2080 Ti. And if a 3060 is 300 bucks, what's that 2080 Ti selling for on eBay? Now, you might say still $400, like that 8700K is bewilderingly selling for that much. But uh, that's my concern, is that not that it will be stronger than a 2080 Ti in traditional rasterization, but there's a good chance it might do ray tracing just as well, if not better for less and you know of course we know it will be using half the energy don't misunderstand me i my comments were only restricted to the 2060 series for interim purchases for something to tide you over i have right. been recommending mm-hmm. 2080 ti for a while now oh i, I know that <laughs> 2080 ti yeah. is going to tank in value i fully expect it'll lose more than half its value in the next four months i could be wrong I could see them selling for like 300 bucks. I'm only talking about 2060 as a bridge card. Okay. Although again, keep in mind what I'm saying, right? So then 20, the 3050 Ti may ray trace twice as well as a 2060. So if even like a $250 card can ray trace twice as well as a 2060, I personally just find it hard to believe devs are even going to bother. They're just going to be like, yep, there's a minimum setting you can turn on and it tanks your frame rate. Um, I guess what I'm saying is you're going to be turning off ray tracing with Turing just to the same degree as RDNA. I think there's a good chance. You may you may be right. I'm, I, but it's again I, right. I might be wrong too. I, that's just something. And you know, there's a path tracing version of Minecraft that runs RDNA cards. And guess I mean you know, and and, and it, it can ray trace almost as well as a 2060, anyways. In that, if you just program for it, and there's already ray tracing demos on Vega, I just think no matter what, every card now is not going to run ray tracing well in the future. Would you agree that ray tracing is in 20 series primarily to just kickstart development to be ready for? Oh, for series? sure. Yeah, it's the what? beta test for ray tracing. <laughs> well, also though, it's ray tracing's in Turing for developers to do graphic design. If you look at how they showed it off with their Quadro cards. It's like you can maintain ray tracing in real time while you're putting together a video at 30 frames or 16 frames. That's all you need to do visual editing. And so I don't think anyone should be surprised when you turn on ray tracing with some of these Turing cards, it runs at 30 frames. Yeah, that's what Turing was built to do. It's a professional compute card 
And I, I personally think they just had to come up with an excuse for why they're also selling half of the die that isn't needed for gaming to gamers. That, that's the way I look at it. But beta test too. It's definitely true. Do you believe that in the next five years, we're going to see games that absolutely require good ray tracing performance to even launch? I don't know. I, I need to think about that. What do you think, Dan? Um, I mean, I think part of that depends on how well the consoles handle ray tracing, right? Because we, it's, we don't really know yet how well they're going to perform in ray tracing. We know they have it to some degree. But if it's more of a uh, gimmicky feature, I think that would hold back the PC markets ray tracing to an extent. Yeah, I don't I guess it depends how it works, right? The rumors around Ampere are that it's super powerful. Again, we'll see if they turn out to be true rumors. Um, and big and big Navi is still just like this black box where no one really knows how it works still, despite seeing all these trailers. I mean, Digital Foundry's opinion of those PlayStation 5 trailers was that it definitely seemed to be doing better ray tracing than what we see now in those games. But most of those games are still 30 frames per second in the trailer. Now, maybe the final game will run at a higher rain rate, frame rate than that trailer. I kind of doubt most of them will, actually. <laughs> but um, that's, you know, so I guess what I'm saying, though, is I think Big Navi just kind of has this inherent... Like, you listen to what Mark Cerny said about ray tracing in the PS5, and he goes, impressive with minimal performance hit. I think the focus of Big Navi's ray tracing is kind of doing it better than Turing does now without lowering your frame rates. And I think Ampere is trying to do full ray tracing. So I think we're still, I guess my answer is, I think we're still a few gens away from it not being a horrible business decision to require people to have ray tracing to launch a game. Let me toss this over to Rogue here for a second, because I think the biggest impressive visual demo of ray tracing recently because if you look at battlefield 5 and a few of the others ray tracing on mm -hmm. and off is kind of like okay you're stretching guys this is this is clearly I, I couldn't agree more yeah uh the minecraft rtx yeah i would like yeah, to get looks good. point of view from the average person the difference between rtx on and off and minecraft oh that's amazing um yeah you might actually get me to play minecraft with that um <laughs> it's getting more realistic. The one thing I do like about the Unreal Engine is that you can take cinematic quality and put it into a game. And I even mm -hmm. said to Tech, how long before they're just going to turn movies into games because they can now use all that footage and basically get a twofer. Mm -hmm. I mean, oh, you yeah. make games in you may make movies in games. Well, vice versa too. Yeah, maybe they're, both. You're going to take the cinematic quality of a movie and use that in a game. Wait, you mean we can remake The Last Jedi into something good now? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> sorry, sorry. I'm ducking. <laughs> but in order to do that, we're going to have to have some good hardware to be able to handle that. And I think we've got the start of that with this PS5 and the Xbox One X. Can we all series, agree that series the Xbox X. Series X is a horrible Xbox product name? Series X. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> well, so now we're all going to be accused of being PlayStation fanboys for saying that openly. But yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a disaster name. I have no clue what's going on, where they get this name from, or why. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, they haven't been good at naming consoles since the first Xbox. <laughs> that one was okay, just that calling it fine. Xbox. But yeah, after that, I don't know what their naming scheme has. Uh, Xbox One X, like One X. Okay. But Xbox One isn't the first console; it's the third, and the third console. I know. Is the three, and the new one has no. See, play, 
PlayStation One, PlayStation Two, PlayStation. <laughs> I get. I. I guess what comes after PlayStation Five? I'll bet it's six. I can't wait to see what the logo will be. That'll be a big announcement. <laughs> <laughs> Let me put it this way: the consoles, the consoles have been around since before PC gaming existed. The very first console I ever owned was a ColecoVision. Um, mm-hmm. Rogue's first console was, correct me if I'm wrong, an Atari 2600, or your family's console was. So console gaming isn't new. Console gaming's been around a long time. There's a place for it. And I, personally, I've never understood this whole, well, if you like consoles, you're less of a gamer. Or, no, I've never understood either way. It, yeah. They're games. Have fun. You're sp- it's just <laughs> I hardware. I mean, don't love the hardware. It won't love you back. <laughs> Well, let me ask you this question. Eric Jackson uh, writes in and he says, offshoot of the, a previous question, what kind of impact do you believe consoles have on GPU prices uh, this fall? And I, I find this interesting because if you remember the PS360 gen, those things dropped in price like 100 bucks every couple of years. And when you look at the PS4 and Xbox One, those prices really haven't gone down much. And that's been during... Well, all of these mining booms that have kept prices up high, followed by Turing. And uh, I think that actually console prices are somewhat tethered to graphics card prices on PC and that the with graphics card prices being so high, Sony and Microsoft were just able to get away for not really lowering the prices on their consoles when, you know, NVIDIA selling 106 dies for 600 bucks or something. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Well, the PlayStation 4 never got the kind of discounts that some prior consoles no. got. Yeah. The 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 Xbox One S did only because they had the X and because Microsoft was desperately fighting for market share. I did a video a year ago on the channel talking about the deal that the Xbox at the time they were offering a bundle deal that had X number of I forget how many months, but it was like six months yeah. of gold and game pass. And it came with like three games and it was $199 for the Xbox One S plus games, plus gold, plus Game Pass. And it was kind of a promo they were doing because they were trying to catch up with total console sale numbers with PS4. Uh, Microsoft mm-hmm. has never been shy at just throwing money at, at problems, although it doesn't, as we saw with Mixer's recent shutdown, that doesn't always work. <laughs> no, it does not, which I keep trying to explain to people. Throwing money at the problem doesn't always work. And that's a deal in the sense that if you look inflation adjusted at what an original Nintendo or Super Nintendo or Sega Genesis cost, $199 today for an Xbox One S with free games and free stuff is actually pretty cost effective. I mean, what kind of gaming PC can you build for $200? A very good one. (laughs) You can. You can put it together a used one, but... Sure. Um, I think that these new consoles are going to be expensive for a long time until the graphics cards and CPUs run off with future tech. Mm -hmm. I think people I've seen several of our viewers comment that they're going to wait a year or two to buy the consoles. And I'm like, why? Well, so they'll be cheaper. I don't think. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I don't know that they will lose price. Maybe in the second year. I don't think it's dropping price in the first year at at a minimum. Two years in, I could see it being $100. I, I think they're going to be aggressive with pricing, too. More aggressive than people suspect. And then they'll just try to hold that price for a few years. Yeah. Well, let me offer this thought. If, let's say, the PlayStation 5 launches at $599 with the 4K Blu-ray or installed. Maybe it's $499 with the digital only. But let's say it's $600 for the, for the whole Shebet, the top-end model. 
and you wait 18 months and it drops a hundred bucks to four ninety nine. So you've had 18 months of not enjoying it, 18 months of not collecting your free games with PlayStation <laughs> Plus membership, 18 months mm-hmm. of not playing the new games for a hundred bucks. Was it worth waiting? Well, that's the same question you could say about graphics cards and stuff too. I, I just say I'll get it when I have a re if I have a reason to get it. Like if it launches, I don't. Uh, and again, th- I'm not telling other people need to think this. This is just like, I'm not personally interested in the Spider-Man game. That's a launch game. So I don't need to get it for Spider-Man, you know? Uh, but if there's a specific game that were to come out, you know, like that I really wanted, I probably wouldn't hesitate. Um, I will say the price for me augments how aggressive I would be. If it was 600, I might decide to wait for there to be two games I want before I get it. If it was 500, I'll probably just quickly get it for one game. I, what were you going to say, Dan? I mean, we were you, Tom, and I were kind of having that conversation earlier. Where it, uh, is it really worth waiting at all? Like, I mean, is it a day one buy for me? I mean, it's probably a first year purchase for me, no matter what. So it might as well be a day one buy for me. Rogue, what about you? We've done reactions to a bunch of trailers. You've seen a bunch of the PlayStation Five stuff. Is there anything you saw that would make you want a PlayStation Five on day one? No. I think if they want to hit the masses with this, $600 isn't going to do it. What price do they need to be? Around that $300. Is that sort of your impulse purchase price point? Yeah. If it was $300, I'd probably just get one to put it there. But at $600, I don't need it that bad. Well, I've had people ask me if I'm going to get one. And the comment that I have made over and over for a long time now since the rumors were out, the, the one feature that would get me to pony up $600 no questions asked, day one, pre-order, mm-hmm. 30 days in advance, I'm putting my credit card down, no <laughs> ifs, ands, or buts, is this. If they would sell me for $600 a PS5 that had full hardware backwards compatibility with every PlayStation, yep. I wouldn't even think twice, take my money. I could There's a lot of people who have said that. Are yeah. you the same way too? Just the fact that I can... Because then, yeah, you're just putting all your old games in, too, instead. Well, yeah, and the fact that, like, the PS3 is still stranded on one generation is kind of crazy. It's Uh, ridiculous to think. (laughs) It should be backwards compatible with the PS3 at this point. (laughs) We have a PS3 upstairs for our kids, and we have a huge library of games for it. And sooner or later, that console's not going to keep working. I mean, they'll be used once Mm -hmm. a long time. But I would love to bring all those games forward. If I can yeah. consolidate, because we have a, a, a we we've got hundreds of games between our PS3 and PS4. If I could put them all on one console, mm-hmm. that would that would make the purchase decision so easy. It's not even funny. Mm-hmm. And do you really want to boot up that PS3? I don't know if you have recently, but man, it's slow. It is sluggish. It sucks. It's, it's, <laughs> it's <awful>. so bad. <laughs> Well, so, yeah, I mean, I, I personally think the prices, I, I, I'm more and more convinced what's going to happen is you're going to see uh, the PS5 uh, disc-based version for $500 and then $399 for the discless one. And the reason they'll be willing to sell one at a slight profit for $500 is because you can still get discs from the discount aisle, which I have, and I bring this up all the time. I got... Call of Duty Infinite Warfare a year ago for $7 free shipping from Amazon. You will not be getting a Call of Duty for $7 on Steam, guys. I don't know what to tell you. Um, And I think the digital version will be sold at a loss because guess what? No discs. You got to buy it from our store. 
So they'll be willing to put it at like a $50, $80 loss for $399. And I think the Xbox is probably going to target $500 and maybe $250 for the discless, ultra-cheap, tiny, weak one. Somewhere around there. That's the that's kind of the rumors, although I could see them both charging a little more. You know, plus minus 50 bucks. Your pricing is way off what I would expect, but I, I have no inside info. I'm just going off of what I think they, they'll charge what they think they can get away with. I will say this. If the Xbox Series X offers a diskless version for 250 that would It's weaker, be- though. It's like the 1080p version, to be clear. It is not... It's like a third the performance, and so it's meant to run at a fourth the resolution. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, but same SSD, so it should, in theory, be able to, the same processor, so in theory, it can run the same games. Interesting. Well, the, the thing is, is at 250 I'm much more inclined to be an impulse purchase. As Rook mm-hmm. said, 299 is the price she wants to be at. If they offer a version at that price, they may do really well with sales because there's a lot of, there's a lot of moms, dads, grandmas, aunts, uncles. Yes. That will just, that 250, sure, no problem. 600, 500, oh, uh, that's, that's a save your money, son. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think a lot of people would put up with 1080p as long as it can run the newest Assassin's Creed at 60 frame. Well, I'm sorry, <laughs> not 60 frames, apparently. Um, but, and, and with that SSD still being in there, which SSDs are pretty cheap, actually. <laughs> I, think pe- I think people overestimate how cheap they actually are in terms of raw material costs. Um, well, let me, this kind of segments into another question, though, that I've, I suspect they're going to do with that cheaper Xbox. So Jeremy Lamb writes in and he says, what are your thoughts on game subscription services such as Xbox Game Pass? Also, what are the best ones or improvements current ones could make? Growing up for RPG games, I would always rent them and play them in return. I feel that this is basically what I'm getting from these subscription models, games I wouldn't buy and would rent in the past, but now I'm just getting a bunch for, you know, 10 to $15 per month. That is an interesting thought that, to be honest, I should have put two and two together. One of my (laughs) first jobs when I was 17 years old was working at a blockbuster video back in the 90s. Nice. And I remember the game rentals and you'd think I would, I would have, I would have mentally put together. I'm going to have to use that. Thank you, man. We subscribe to PlayStation plus and to Xbox game pass and our, our Xbox one and our PS4 have tons of games accumulated from that. And whenever the kids say, oh, can we get this game or can we get that game? I say, you guys have 100 games per console Mm. to play. You can find something to play. You don't need that to spend more money. And for a relatively tiny amount of money, uh, on discount, you can get the ultimate Game Pass for about $100 a year on on the Xbox. And you can get a year of PlayStation Plus for about $40, $45. So $150 a year... Hundreds you don't need any. Yeah. Look, kids, you guys have plenty of stuff to play. Have fun. I've spent my money. You want anything else? You spend your own. It's an incredible yeah. value, but you never own anything. But let's be honest. Name, name the games over your entire game life mm-hmm. that you actually have played enough that spending 60 bucks to own it long term would have really mattered. Oh, there's a few, actually. Battlefield 1, Battlefield 5, Battlefield 4, Battlefield 3, all Borderlands games, Demon Souls. I bought Demon Souls twice so I could get two Platinums, played that cumulatively over a thousand hours, I'd say. Dark Souls 1, Bloodborne. I mean, Dan, are there any we're forgetting? Minecraft, but we got that for like 20 bucks in beta. <laughs> 
I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think most games I play and most games for most people, they usually play it once, maybe two times. So I think that there is a compelling argument there that just temporarily having it for a time is worth it. Oh, uh, I would say Grand Theft Auto Five. I've played enough to like justify its purchase. But no, no I, I get that reasoning that ne- you're never really owning a lot of these games. But does that really matter to you? For most people, probably not. Like I said, I got that Call of Duty for seven bucks. That's how cheap it had to be because I knew after I beat it after 10 hours, that was it. <laughs> well, the interesting thing is our kids spend more hours playing Fortnite than anything else, and it's a free <laughs> game. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't appeal to me. I, I can't comment on that. Um, well, let me. So I brought up this reader mail because I actually want to segment into this too. Um, I suspect, and this is what my last video was on, that what Microsoft's planning to do with this, yes, they'll probably let you buy, I think they'll call it the Xbox Series S, the cheap version, somewhere between 200 and 300 bucks. I think what they'll plan to do, though, and it's something they've already pioneered a bit, is at launch, at launch, let you sign up with a subscription service. And I said $25.00. Because that's, what is it, uh, Xbox, Game Pass, Ultimate, and then they just add like 10 bucks because you're getting a console with it per month. I actually think I was too high. I actually think they may just say, sign this contract as long as you agree to pay $15 a month for two years, or maybe even just one, no, it'd be two years. As long as you agree to pay $15 a month for two years, here, they just give you the console. There's no upfront cost and you get xbox game pass ultimate which of course comes with xbox live gold and that's it and i think that's a killer market share taker possibly or at the very least that's about the most they can do to finally try to get back some of that market share i don't know what you would think about that that'd make that an impulse purchase for you wouldn't it well they did that experimentally on amazon with the xbox one you could get an xbox one x for x number of dollars a month they were doing I that think it was 30 run. bucks or something yeah and then they ended it it would i mean that was to be it's a beta test uh it doesn't surprise me because of the fact that like with the ps3 online gaming was free but with the ps4 online gaming mm-hmm. required playstation plus mm-hmm. yeah monthly subscriptions are ultimately worth more money than one-off sales because if a console is going to last six seven eight years however long they're going to last Getting 30 bucks a month versus, as you say, the hardware doesn't really cost all that much. And certainly, you know, year two and year three, with they do a mm-hmm. rev of the console, they make it even cheaper. If you can just offer people a monthly fee and it comes with a game pass, I think a ton of parents will say, all I got to pay is 20 bucks for the 1080p version or 30 bucks for the 4K, whatever. And I get yeah. games, I get a console. It's under warranty, and I never have to buy another game. You would think they would sell tons of them. And it should be under, yeah, it would probably be under warranty for two years. And I think it's different than before, though, because, and a lot of people in the comments were just like, they're already doing this. And I'm like, well, they're not, though, because before they charged $30 or $22, I'm saying maybe they'll charge $15 to $25 at launch of a new console. This is very different than three years after the console comes out, I think. They offer that. And the amount of games they give you with Game Pass Ultimate now is way better than what they did a few years ago. I think it's it's not an unfair argument that you could just pay 15 bucks a month and you'll never need to buy a game the entire two years that contract's there. Well, let's get Rogue's opinion because she's 
We've got three kids. For those of you who aren't aware, we've got a 10-year-old, 11-year-old, and 14-year-old. Uh, from your point of view, as a mom with three kids, would that type of offer sway you at all? It would, actually. Yeah, it would, because it would give them something to do for a relatively little amount of money. What price per month? What 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 would make you go, oh, yeah, here, take my credit card? For the 1080p, I would say about 20 4K, probably 30. So 20 and 30? Yep. And you'd just be like, what, you get games, a console, and I don't have to yep. buy anything? Just sign up, plug it in, off you go. So what happens, do you think, um, after the two-year period? Does the monthly price go down? Do you get to upgrade to a new console? Do you get to keep the console? What happens? Well, that's a good question. I mean, I guess what I would say is it wouldn't surprise me if they had eventually some kind of... See, here's what I think, too. See, the, the, the horrible name, Xbox Series X, Xbox Series S, I think this is something they plan to refresh every few years, and it'll just be the Xbox Series X 2023 model, the Xbox Series S, the weaker 2023 model instead of the 2020 model, and that perhaps as part of this, they'll upgrade it for you every few years. That's an interesting idea because right now, if you ask the average person, when do you think the PS4 and the Xbox One came out? I'll bet a lot of people couldn't actually say the year. I'd have to think about the year. 2013. 2013. Well, okay. Remember, we're fanboys, as people say, so we remember. <laughs> um, if they go to refreshes every two years and put model numbers or years or something in them, people, one of the reasons people buy new cars so often is because they, <laughs> people like new and shiny. And by putting a number on it, because a lot of times a five-year-old car really doesn't look any worse than a brand new car, but it's, oh, you drive a 2015. Oh, that's old. Yeah. I just got a used one too. And I'm like, this is half the price of the new one. It's two years old. And like, it, and how can you justify? Fine, but some people just, they have this if, if they come out with it with an Xbox Series X 2022 edition, mm -hmm. there's going to be people who go, well, I can't be running an old piece of crap. I have to buy the new one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, yeah. maybe they bump up the specs since it runs Windows. Shouldn't be hard for devs to program for it. Although, again, they're basically just turning this into a PC. But what happens if uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla runs at 30 frames per second on the 2020 <laughs> yeah. edition, but runs at 60 frames per second on the 2022 version? <laughs> No, 40 frames. The 2024 version will finally be an Assassin's Creed game that doesn't run sluggishly. safe to say I'm not a morning person. Most days I try to sleep in as much as possible. Still, sometimes I just need to get up early, whether for a conference call or just simply to get a video done on time. When I do this, great coffee definitely helps, especially when it doesn't skimp on the caffeine and it actually is priced reasonably like it is at the henma.com where you can choose between delicious flavors like highlander grog and chocolate raspberry and you know what unlike most artisanal coffee i've tried it actually wakes you up and it tastes great the h-e-n-d-m-a 
dot com use offer code moore's law that's m-o-o-r-e-s-l-a-w to get 10 percent off right now your coffee orders and do make sure you use these guys if you need coffee because coffee is their passion and right now this is a side hustle they're trying to grow into a bigger business out of norman oklahoma they could use your help if you could use a good cup of coffee For my new benchmarking station, I did use a legitimate key of Windows 10 Professional, and that's because it's just not expensive if you go to CDK Offers. They did sponsor me to say this, but I used their website, and it works well. They have great customer support, and if you use offer code BROKENSILICON, you'll get 25% off Windows software, and DieShrink gets you 3% off all software on the website, including game codes. I will reiterate, it was really easy for me to actually set up an account on this website, search for Windows, buy the code using whatever payment method I wanted, and they do have several options, and then I simply got sent the authentic key and downloaded Windows 10 from Microsoft's website. Save yourself some money to get more bones for your dog and don't stress yourself out using illegitimate keys. These are real keys and they did sponsor this part of the video. So one more time, that's cdkoffers.com. Use DieShrink for 3% off all software on the website, including Steam games and broken silicon for 25% off software. All right, now let's get to the benchmarking. That was my first thought when I actually first heard the name of the next-gen Xbox revealed is, why is there a series in this? My thought was maybe they're getting trying to like softly get rid of the idea of generations, and it's just going to update on a rolling basis from now on until it inevitably just becomes, I don't know, some streaming platform or something you subscribe to on a PC. I don't know. Which I think would also be a promise of this service, too, that I forgot to mention. xCloud's in beta now, but I think what they'll say is once xCloud's up and running, that $250 console, you can stream 4K games right in. It's included in the price. Are they not aware that game streaming is not working because internet connections suck? <laughs> well, even yeah. where it's good, yeah. I've heard xCloud and PS Now work okay, but certainly better than Stadia, apparently. And I think it's like Gigabit starts to get more widespread it, it, that will definitely get better i think there will always be issues with uh, streaming games with latency though so let me steer the conversation this way because this was a something i wanted us to eventually get into my concern and a concern i bring up near the end of the video you know i'm like i think this could actually work i think they need to be this aggressive to finally bring some competition back to sony having said that i'm worried this could create a race to the bottom in game quality at least for the ones they include on it, similar to what happened with Android and iOS games. Because for those who don't remember early in the smartphone days, there were AAA, EA was making, Ubisoft was making AAA games for the phones. They were charging $10 to $30. But then there were these shovelware versions for two bucks. And now you can't sell a good game on a phone. You got to get a Switch. Like that's the only way to mobile game with decent AAA games. And so I'm worried that once you are bundling everything into a subscription model, like, I mean, and the example I keep giving is it's like to sign up for Xbox Game Pass, it's a dollar. And people keep saying they find ways to make it a dollar every month with new offers. And so Gears of War 5 was just a loss then. Like they didn't make back the like 50 to 100 million, whatever they spent to make that game. And 
I think Microsoft's just big enough they'll eat that cost. But what happens if they try to get everyone to pay for every game released that way? I don't know that that's a sustainable business model for making tons of expensive and big AAA games. And I mean, I'm just doing the math here while we, we were talking. So I don't know how you want to put this right, because when you pay for Xbox Live, you're paying to keep the servers up, you know, back up your saves and all of that. But let's say $5 of that 15 goes into paying for the free games you're getting. I don't know. I'm just guessing. <laughs> so I just, I think 10 million people, you know, let's just say it's 20 million people extra pay for this. So it's 20 million people are paying an extra $5 a month. And then I divided that by 100 million because that's how much it costs to make a AAA game now. I got one. So they can make one AAA game with the budget they have now with people paying that much per month. How is that going to fund all of these AAA games? Isn't this going to just cause... A free could this cause a freemium situation? Uh, here's the counter: DLC and microtransactions exist. There are a lot mm. of situations where recent big AAA games have launched at sixty dollars, but it's really half a game because there's a season pass, there's a super deluxe edition, there's multiple bits of content. Borderlands Three is a good example. Borderlands Three launched just what nine months ago. $60 for the base game, $80 for the deluxe version, and $100, $120 for the super deluxe yeah. and everything version. And they've obviously been discounted since, but I suspect what's going to happen is you're going to get the base game in the game pass. But if you want the season pass, the expansions, the content, and the other stuff, those will end up being additional purchases. That's how they make their money. They give away the base game, but what they'll actually end up doing is the base games will become starter editions with 10 hours of gameplay. And then if you really like the, it's essentially back to shareware. Do yeah. You, do you remember, well, remember shareware is kind of before, I guess, <laughs> no offense. Y'all are young. What's do you guys remember <laughs> the nineties and shareware at all? Yeah. Yeah. I, a little I bit. <laughs> Dan's my little brother. I mean, yeah, I was born in the mid nineties. So no, I don't remember that at all. I, I never really used it, Doom but I remember it. Steam 3D off of bulletin boards with a 2400 baud modem in 1993. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you think about that? About they can still make AAA games, but you won't really get the whole game, even if they claim you do with the pass. Well, this this segments me to a, something I just wanted to bring up in general, and that's: Do you think? Because people keep saying this, you know. $60 for a game, they're going to have to increase game prices. It's my opinion they're not going to. They're not going to increase game prices because if you were the first, like at least not, I don't think there's any point where Steam, Origin, or Sony or Microsoft just come out and say, all PS5 games are $80 now. There's, I think there's no way in hell they do that. Uh, I think they're going to keep it at 60 and keep segmenting off parts of the game. Um, I don't know, what, do you, what were you going to say, Dan? I kind of agree because I think there would be a lot of outrage if uh, they increase the game prices to $80. Even if they like tried to include with the fact that means we're not going to have, I don't know, microtransactions in the, these games. Even though I think uh, a lot of devs really like microtransactions because it's clearly making them a ton of money. <laughs> yeah. Like look at Fortnite. That game has generated billions of dollars in microtransactions that don't even really affect the gameplay. I don't mind microtransactions. They're cosmetic. Fortnite's microtransactions don't bother me. The ones that bother me is like how EA did Battlefront 2 when it first launched. Oh, yeah. Where they're selling power. 
I see yeah. if, if they're selling cosmetic, look, sell all the cosmetic pretty skins you want because because I can play the <laughs> base game and get the same experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, regarding game prices, let me offer you this thought. I remember in 1991 and 1992 playing Super Nintendo games. Final Fantasy II and Super Street Fighter II were $70 back then. I just put yeah, it up they on were. an inflation calculator, and that's $132 in today's money. Mm-hmm. The idea of getting games for $60 today is really, really cheap. That's why you have these $120 Super Deluxe Passes like with Borderlands 3, because it's the only way they can afford to pay for the game. They can't really make any money at $60. bucks. Mm-hmm. It's like... And like, look at like GTA five. Why are they selling so many different versions of that game now? It's on three generations. It's because they spent probably half a billion dollars on that game. Like they need to sell it. They for did long to make their money back. Well, they, they have, they've made like, what, oh, yeah, $6 billion. <laughs> I think Dan, we, we looked it up last night. They've sold 130 million copies of GTA five. They're doing just, where's my GTA six already? 2023 is the rumor. I, but but we and Dan were talking, why would they make a new one if they're selling 20 million copies a year still? <laughs> My God. I don't think they're making the bulk of their money from selling copies. They just did that big giveaway no. at Epic Game Store. Isn't it the GTA Online? Yeah. That's where they're making their money? Oh, for yeah, sure. Yeah. They're also making a lot of the, on the online, which I don't know. I haven't spent any money on microtransactions in any game, really. I don't know if I ever... I'm sure there's one time I bought some dumb skin. I don't know. If you reverse out, if you do the reverse calculation, $60 today was $32 back in 1991. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only Nintendo games you were buying in 91 were, you know, year old or two year old budget games. Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember getting Pokemon Stadium for like, I don't know, it was like a year after it came out for like $70. <laughs> So I'm not saying we don't have it well, but I don't think that's the question, right? I think we do have it good. And the problem is I still think companies are would, ever, would be scared to ever sell it for 70, except for specific ones. Like we, since we brought it up, I think the way game prices go up at all is it's not going to be all of them do. It's just going to be like, you know, someone has the fortitude and the confidence like GTA 6 to go. We're selling this one for a hundred because we know you're going to buy it for a hundred. And if I'm speaking for myself, I would pay a hundred dollars for the newest GTA six. If it was a, as big as I think it's going to be, would I pay a hundred dollars for, I don't know, Dan, what's a, what's a game we just got? I don't, I don't, I don't know for like Far cry four. I mean, a new far but, cry or something. I yeah. Know. A new far cry. I will not be spending a hundred dollars for the new far cry. I'm unlikely to even spend 60. <laughs> I'm not used to buying games like Star Wars. The uh, Star Wars: The Republic is free to download. Um, mm-hmm. World of Warships. World, World of Warships is free to download. Fortnite. Fortnite is free to download. So everything that we've been playing is free to download. Although you've been playing Ghost. Well, we had to buy the kids copies of Overwatch to much of my frustration because our kids That's love true. to play Overwatch together, and so we had to buy a copy for every one of them. It's like, oh, yeah. I have to buy four copies of the same game. <laughs> and if you all want to play them five. We do own five copies of that. Yeah. But but we've also put those <laughs> up on sale. Um, if I had to pay a hundred dollars, uh, you know what I'd you know what I'd spend a hundred dollars for in two seconds flat without thinking twice about it? A mm. modern remake with a new story of the original X-Wing and TIE Fighter games from the early nineties. Oh, yeah, you do like that. I would pay that for a Falcon 5.0. 
uh, uh, bonus points if either of you guys know what Falcon 3 and Falcon 4.0 were. I don't, but I kind of got the idea. Oh, maybe Dan does. I, I feel like I've heard of them before. I've never watched any gameplay of them, though, no. We, we, we used to have actual good simulators. I guess we do today in TCS uh, A10 and a few others, but a flight sims used to be a really big thing on the PC back in the 90s. I mean, I had a full Thrustmaster hands-on throttle and stick and the whole nine yards, and, and they, used to be, they used to come with like 500-page printed manuals that you literally would study to learn. <laughs> like you're a pilot, the yeah. They were, but you, you <laughs> as Rogue points at me laughing, um, we don't kind of have games. I would, how about this? Uh, the old Wing Commander games. I mean, it, I want a game that I would still play years from now that has a good engrossing story that has 100 mm-hmm. hours of, of solo offline gameplay. These 10-hour interactive experiences, and then they shuffle you off to the multiplayer game where you have microtransactions, <laughs> piss me off. Well, yeah, that's why I'm saying I don't think there's going to be this uniform price increase. I think it's just going to be like if a new Elder Scrolls comes out and it's as good as, frankly, Bethesda needs to be to restore their faith in their company at this point, um, then I think they might say 80 bucks and uh, the new Borderlands is still 60 And kind of another thing to bring up is when people complain about, and it is something I point out now, is prices actually don't drop as much as they used to anymore. I don't see these Steam sales with $2 games unless they're from 10 years ago, that often anymore. And I think it's just all of the companies have decided, well, we're not raising prices from 60, but we also don't want to sell any games for less than $10 anymore. And it's just, sorry, you know, there's inflation. Well, the math that I do is I didn't buy the new um, uh, Jedi Fallen Order, for example, but the reason I didn't is because I ultimately came to the conclusion that if there was at least two games a year I wanted to play, spending the $99 a year it costs to buy the Origin Premium Pass was cheaper because I'll play the game for a bit, but am I going to be playing it three years from now? And it probably will still be in the bundle, so what difference? If I spend $100 a year on Origin Premium, are there enough games both in there and coming out in the future that it's ultimately the same price or cheaper and I don't have to make a decision on buying each game. I just get to play everything when it launches. Um, Ubisoft is the same way. I didn't buy Ghost Recon Breakpoint. I got it in the in the Uplay bundle. And I think what they're all trying hmm. to do is the same thing that HBO Max and Disney Plus are trying to get us to do. Yeah. Sign up for mm-hmm. 10 subscriptions. <laughs> which I'm apparently doing. Save me, Rogue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know where they're kept, but um, I don't know. What do you think about about Uplay Plus and and Origin Premium and those kind of services? I mean, I don't know. Some of it might be stubbornness. I kind of refuse to sign up for any of them because I know if I if I go through that rule, that mental rule and wall in my head, I'll just end up signing up for ten. What do you, uh, and I just have to stand? You know, no. I have this one, and that's it. I'm not getting all of these other ones. I don't know. Do you think that's what you're doing, Dan? Um, I mean, I think that's part of it. I, I, I don't want to be signed up for a bunch of subscription services just because, I don't know, I don't know if I'll like forget about one or something like that. I mean, I guess if your calculation is that you're ultimately saving money, you're still saving money. But no, I, I still haven't really signed up for any of those subscription services at all yet. Well, a lot of it comes down to time for me as well. <clears throat> like, 
I, I, I mean, I do have PlayStation Plus, but, you know, they give you free games and I don't play half of them, like you're saying, you know, and the older I get, the busier I am. I can't imagine having the time to play well, all of these games of anyway. Cal- so that's I, why. I have two calculations. Number one, I have kids that can play some of these games. Right, so right. There's that. Uh, the yeah, other that's very different. Is some games I have to buy to benchmark for the channel that I actually sure. don't otherwise play. Mm-hmm. And so I don't necessarily want to buy every game, but if games come, I was either going to buy Ghost Recon Breakpoint or I was going to get it in the Uplay Plus because I needed to benchmark it. So that's part of my mental equation. Let me put it this way. It's a tax write-off for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, let me steer the conversation this way then, because I, I think so. Recently, Sean Layden was interviewed, and he's an executive from, you know, he's a gaming executive who's been all over. Uh, and he was on gamesindustry.biz. And he said the following in this interview about the cost of making games right now. He goes, this is quoting, Layden recalled the days of 1 million production budgets for the biggest games on the market and referred to a commonly stated theory that the cost of development has doubled with every new generation of consoles. The problem with the model is it's just not sustainable, he said, explaining that the current generation has seen the cost of game development reach between 80 million and 150 million for most AAA games, excluding marketing costs even, with production taking up to five years from start to finish to finish. And he says, I don't think that in the next generation, you can take those numbers and multiply them by two again. And I think that, and think that you can keep growing. I think the industry as a whole needs to sit back and go, all right, what are we building? What's the audience expectation? What is the best way to get our story across and say what we need to say? It's hard for every adventure game to shoot for 50 to 60 hour gameplay milestones because that's going to be so much more expensive to achieve. And in the end, you may close some interesting creators and their stories out of the market if that's the kind of threshold they just have to meet. I think we need to reevaluate it. And I think this is an interesting discussion because for me, when I see a game that says it's 100 hours of gameplay, I'm actually like, hmm, maybe I won't get that one then because I don't have 100 hours to play games anymore. I have my Battlefield, I have my Borderlands with the Season Pass, and those are my games. There's my co-op one, there's my online multiplayer one, and I'm not buying another. I'll get Red Dead Redemption because I like it a lot. But outside of games with that caliber, it's hard for me to justify. I, I just don't know where. I mean, I'm, I've started Metro Exodus which I actually got the gold edition of it with all the DLC as well. Um, Titanfall 2 and The Last of Us Part 2. I'm playing all three of those right now, except I don't know when I'll finish all three, (laughs) probably months and months from now. So, I mean, where do you land on this, the cost of development and how long games should be? If Unreal Engine 5's demo showed us cinematic quality, how is a company who has to create something from scratch going to compete with something that is already made. So let's take a movie. Mm-hmm. They can extract the cinematic quality out of that movie or however much money it is. I would and The think- Mandalorian used Unreal Engine, by the way, yeah, for ma- that show. That would be much more cost-effective than having to create something from scratch. Mm-hmm. So how is a company that can extract cinematic quality out of a movie or a, a company that can't do that going to compete with a company that can is what I'm asking. 
And, and you know, the Decima engine that was used for Death Stranding Horizon in the Killzone series, they use those 8K scans of real-world objects between all of those games now, too. Yeah. Well, let me offer, let me offer this thought regarding the cost of, of, of games. Uh, look mm-hmm. at Hollywood. Hollywood has fractured into a couple of segments, and they've had to reinvent themselves and figure out how to maintain their income and their box office with the ever-increasing price of movies. Uh, I believe Avengers Endgame cost something on the order of $350 million <laughs> to make between yeah. production, prints, advertising, etc. That's a Almost as much as Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, well, <laughs> Almost. see, here's the thing. Obviously, that movie is just going to make stupid money, so whatever. Um, yes. But as was shown, for example, with Solo, which didn't, you know, the, the, the Star Wars movie didn't mm-hmm. do that well. It's not always guaranteed. Hollywood, the production cost has gone through the roof. And now Hollywood is competing for eyeballs. You've got everything from Netflix to HBO to interactive games. And people have these huge TVs that are cheap at home now. So you can have an amazing cinematic experience at home. What's going to keep people going to the movie theaters? And increasingly, the there's two types of movies that are being made these days. You have the spectacles, the, the big blockbuster, $200 million, everything explodes action movie that seems dumb from a storyline. But the reason for that is because it has to sell everywhere in the world, including China. So it has to translate into every culture and language. And then you have the indie films, Sundance and uh, the other types of thoughtful films that are made for 10 or $20 million. And those are sort of where the creative storytelling is going. Mm-hmm. And everything else has gone to either Amazon Prime or Netflix. A good example of a, of a series that could never be made for broadcast television or even for the movies is uh, The Expanse. We've been watching The Expanse, uh, which is an mm-hmm. Amazon Prime series. Have you guys heard of it? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. That, how in the world would you ever make something? Because you can't drop in the middle of that. If you haven't watched that show from the beginning, <laughs> you're lost. So 20 years ago, that couldn't have been made. Game of Thrones couldn't have been made 20 years oh, ago. Oh, certainly not. No, <laughs> it, it, you have to binge watch these things. You, it's it's designed for a new world. So for computer games, I think there's going to be fewer tent poles with two hundred million dollar mm-hmm. budgets. They've got to figure out a way to extract more money up front. You, you know, you talk about sixty dollar game prices. Are they going to go to a hundred dollar games? How do they extract enough money up front to pay for two hundred million dollar productions? But I, I think. It, that overlooks the indie games. I think that overlooks the smaller budget games. Um, as I'm sitting here r- racking through my head, uh, Battletech was recently released. Games like Frostpunk, games like XCOM mm-hmm. 2, these uh, City Skylines, these are not $100 million budget games, but they, mm-hmm. they're popular. They're well-reviewed. They're have you guys played any of those uh, City Skylines or XCOM? Oh, I, I know of all of them, okay. right? I don't know that I've played any of them. I mean, I'm, I mean, there's there's a there's a bazillion indie games I have played, like Don't Starve and No Man's Sky and all of that. So I'm aware of the games that don't need that type of massive budget. Or Minecraft, you know, I played for like a religion in college. Um, Minecraft is a phenomenon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that one's outsold Grand Theft Auto somehow. But uh yeah, I mean I, I don't know. I guess 
I, I guess, yes, that is what I hope happens. And if you look at the initiative with Unreal Engine 5, and I, I also, again, kind of think the Decima engine's trying to do this as well, where they just have all of these 8K scans for the textures and models, and they just basically say, hey, we'll help fund your game if you give us a cut of the profits. And you don't need to scan anything. Just take these assets, make your game. That should hopefully allow for somewhat of a return to the mid-tier games. And eventually that should trickle down into even the cheapest budget indie games, I'm hoping by the end of this gen, where no, they will not look like, you know, Battlefield 7, but they might look as good as Battlefield 4 and were made for half a million dollars. You know, that type of stuff. But at the same time, you know, I don't don't know. I think the other conversation I want to have about this too is just, like you say, you have your tent poles. So there'll be like a new Horizon, a new Halo, a new Battlefield. And those are sane. They're going to keep making those and they're going to keep selling well and they're going to get, they're going to be pretty good most likely. But these other games, I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of getting tired of every game feeling like they have to last 100 hours because I don't think I want that out of most games anymore. I want to go in for 10 to 20 hours and I'd rather instead of you spending half the dev time Yeah, I guess what I'm saying is I don't know exactly what the number would break down to, but I would rather have a a solid 15-hour game as good as, and this is just my examples, right? You know, uh, God of War, Half-Life 2, or what on and so far, super good single-player, well-written, well-done, polished games for 15 hours. Then then a 60-hour game where half of it is fetch quests. (laughs) And the writing's not as good. Speaking of fetch quests... Do you remember 10 years ago when everything had to be an MMO? Yes, <laughs> and that didn't work out well for a lot of companies that bet all their put their all their eggs in one basket. You know, World of Warcraft did so well. Everybody wanted I mean, every big game, every big title, I mean, even Fallout they were going to make an MMO, which I guess technically Fallout 76 you could kind of <laughs> oh god, that that game pisses me off. Um, I hear it has NPCs now in an update. Don't even. <laughs> Good job. They burn that bridge. Bethesda needs to learn how to actually make quality. If the game sucks that bad, I agree. Course, the problem is, is you've killed it. Electronic Arts did the same thing when they bought Bioware and they butchered Star Wars: The Old Republic <laughs> and they released it too early when it wasn't ready. I've been playing that game for years. Not EA. They wouldn't do that. <laughs> uh, I, I just. I'm kidding. Yeah. I just. There was a time when MMOs and online everything was the future. And now EA just came out with a press release saying no microtransactions, no online requirement for the upcoming Star Wars. Yes, I saw that. Yeah. And it almost feels like they like Battlefield Battlefront. Sorry, Star Wars (laughs) Battlefront 2. You could buy these packs with money, with real money that would sell you power in the game and make you more powerful. Oh, yeah. If you wanted Darth Just Vader straight up away, damage increases to heroes, too. The problem is this created a backlash to the point to where they're almost having to go way the other direction. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're putting out press releases in all caps saying no microtransactions. <laughs> Which, yeah, I mean, I think microtransactions can have a place, but yeah, what they tried to do with it was way, way overboard. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Well, let me let me add on too, just like, and I think I think the answer is they will make whatever we pay for most. So an example, you know, like put your money where your mouth is if this sells well. But I just know for myself, for my money, 
just like I, got, I think I got God of War and Assassin's Creed. Odyssey. That was the Greek one. Um, at, around the same time, I played Odyssey for 10, for a few hours. And then I basically went to God of War and I was like, I like this more, even if it's shorter. And then I didn't even go back to Odyssey still to this day. I just go to another Titanfall 2, you know, like another 10 hour game because I, again, and I don't know, I just can't stand just half fetch quests. But I suppose you're right that a lot of games are already starting to. Everyone was worried single player games were going to die. And when I look at some of the biggest games in the past few months, they're all pretty tight single-player games, so I feel like those are kind of coming back. Well, and I don't think... The problem with multiplayer games is they're getting so expansive now that it's... You have to pick a multiplayer game that you play, and that's just the one you play. Like, it's either Call of Duty, Fortnite, Battlefield, whatever it is. So I, I don't think there's a huge market to just have everything have multiplayer in it because people really don't have the time for a bunch of multiplayer games. The other thing that I've really noticed since getting more into gaming is that you really need to become an expert in the game if you want to get anywhere with it. You mean multiple? Yeah. yeah. It, it, any, any game. And, like, most people just want to sit down and putz around and play with it, and it's, I mean, it's like World of Warships. I mean, there's so much to know about the tiers, about the ships. I mean, you've got destroyers, cruisers, battleships. You've got carriers. You've got different types of ammo which does this and which does that. And it's like, bloody hell, this is now a job. I don't want a job. I just want to sit down and play my bloody game. It's very casual, unfriendly, isn't it? Yes. And I think the more casual, unfriendly games are, the less people will play them, which I think is why GTA 5 is doing so well, because it's casual friendly. You can get in there, drive around, crash a bit, shoot a bit, do this, and then you leave. Like, yeah. the more casual, unfriendly games become, the less people will play them. Yeah. Or it's just not sustainable. You can't have, you can't, you know, like you said, you picked your game. And I mean, like, for strategy games, there's one strategy game I like playing Age of Empires, and people ask me to play StarCraft. It's like, nope, I've mastered the Dutch and <laughs> and the Aztecs, and I'm not spending 50 hours mastering something in another RTS. <laughs> and I think that everyone just has like one RTS game, one shooter, online shooter, where it's like, no, and the amount of customization and tricks you learn to do in the Battlefield games too, where like, I'm just, nope, that's the one. <laughs> I'm not playing yours. And I think we just can't expect... I think there's gonna there's only room for so many of these expansive multiplayer games, and that some of them that you see that come out, and it's like, oh, this is gonna do so well, and oh, we have just as much stuff as Fortnite and all of this, and it's like, okay, but you have to understand, people aren't gonna master Fortnite and your game, so you're only asking for part of the pie, and it might make more sense to just make a tighter, like you say, more fun game that everyone can jump in and out of instead of trying to make the most epic, huge game ever, because we can't we can't play all of them. Yeah, like you need a degree for your game. Well, the people who have in general, well, I, I could be wrong here, but the people who have the biggest disposable income to throw at this stuff have the least amount of time to become experts at it. As you say, you yeah. have time for these hundred hour game yeah. experiences. I mean, when I was younger, I could yes. play games all day. But if you ask me mm -hmm. to buy all these hundred and twenty dollars super deluxe pass editions, I'd be like, oh, "Where's my money?" I'm, you know, I have three dollars. Yeah. Um, a good example: you guys are Battlefield players. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Have you guys played Rainbow Six Siege at all? 
No, I haven't. Uh, you know what? I think I probably played a couple of games with one of my friends three years ago. I know what it is, but some, yeah. Some people are hardcore. One of mm-hmm. the Twitch streamers I follow is a hardcore siege player, like platinum level competitive ace of the, I mean, I, it's like watching Michael Jordan play basketball. It's, 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 it's amazing because mm-hmm. I suck at that. My reflexes and my abilities I don't try to play Battlefield Online anymore. I've tried a couple of times. I don't play Siege. I've played it. Now, I played It's so competitive. When it was a Half-Life mod 20 years ago, and I wasn't actually that bad at it back then, but boy, the the online gaming world was so different 20 years ago. It's not even fun. I mean, there's a free download for Half-Life 20 years ago with nothing to, to buy. Yeah. And today, you've got all these, you know, 15 to 25 year olds with super reflexes. I can't (laughs) compete. And I watch these younger 20 year olds, these 25 year olds play on Twitch. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm out. I, I'll just, cause I just get killed too quick. I can't compete with that. I would watch an online game where only people my age are allowed to play. (laughs) Well, well, that's something I've noticed too in the Battlefield series is, you know, me and Dan really, we played, I played a little bit of Battlefield too. I would say the Bad Company series is really when we got super into it. And I remember back then, every successive Battlefield that came out, it was less and less of a free-for-all noob murder fest for us. And by that, I mean, if we had played Battlefield 2 a lot, Bad Company comes out, this is like the third Battlefield game to even come out. So there's plenty of people trying it out for the first time. And we have, you know, five, a few years experience and they're booting up into a tank for the first time. And we're just mutilating their team because we have all this experience. But then you go to Bad Company 2. Now there's more people who have played Battlefields for five years. Then you go to Battlefield 3 and 4. And by Battlefield 4, you remember, oh yeah, there's been people playing since 1942 for like 15 years. And I'm not, you know, and and every new one that comes out, Battlefield 5, especially Dan, there was no free noob month, was there? It was just hot competition right at the beginning, because there was plenty of people like us, who even if they hadn't played as long, they've probably been playing for 10 years. It's just, and and anytime we haven't played for a few months and we get on, we're reminded that we've lost just that little bit of skill set for not playing for a few months. I don't think lots of shaking heads. I don't think Rogue has ever played Battlefield, have you? But you tried PUBG and you tried Fortnite. Why don't you share your thoughts of you? You are not a lifelong gamer. No. What happened when you tried PUBG and tried Fortnite? Oh my gosh! It's there's again. It's it's just so casual and friendly because you got to know the guns and you got to know the ammo and there's mm-hmm. just and then like you said, you're up against people who have better reflexes than you, and it's at some point it's like, yeah, okay, nah, we're did, good. Did you ever see who shot you half the time? No. Uh. Uh-uh. Uh. So you're just running along <laughs> and, and yeah, head blown. This isn't fun. <laughs> it was Moore's Law is dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you were you were more as long. Yeah, <laughs> I think I played Fortnite uh, with one of my uh, high school friends a few times, and we we tend to do pretty well in Fortnite. I've never won in playing that game, but I think I've gotten like number three, two before. That's the highest I've ever gotten. My kids but, have uh, won a couple of games, and of course they've got fourteen year old reflexes. And yeah, I watch them play. I mean, I watch my eleven year old daughter play. She cannot play me. It's kind of depressing. Well, like, yeah, look at all those, <laughs> look at all those like a uh, pro gamer champions. They're like 
half they're like always 16 or 17 years old <laughs> remember dan when uh we built our cousin uh jane she's like i don't know how much younger than us dan but i, I knew her since she was a baby you know since <laughs> my aunt had her and it's funny now she's like uh, she's like 17 now and it was funny we built her this gaming pc she gets on battlefield one with us and i'm just so used to her because i've known her since she was born not being good at games and she hops on battlefield one and she's just right there with us getting kills reviving people and i'm like oh yeah i could play games when i was 15 couldn't i or something (laughs) and it was just weird to see that um and yeah i mean i don't uh i I don't know what else to add to that except that i would oh yeah i would say i think actually my peak in gamer prowess was late in college. So let's say five, six years ago. And I think it's just been for the past few years. I can feel it. I can feel it slipping through my fingers. I'm not, I'm not as good as I was in college. I'm not. Would you like and, me to depress you and, and tell you what? Yeah, coming? I'd love to. Because I'm yeah. I'm, 40, <laughs> I'm 44 years old. And let me tell you, it gets worse. <laughs> oh yeah there's like it's at this point i just accept i can play battlefield on hard i just started the last of us part two and i'm doing actually very well and hard but i got sekiro and i'm like hmm i think i've lost some of my demon soul skills this is this is heartbreaking these things are destroying me when i load up single player games these days i i used to revel in loading up yes Doom. And putting nightmare mode on and challenging yep. myself. Today, it's like, what's the easiest mode? Yeah, <laughs> I, don't I agree. Have time I time to become an expert because I've got dinner to make, or well, Rogue's got dinner to make. I've got dinner to eat. I've got things <laughs> to do. Give me the easy mode. Give me the story. I'm surprised more games today don't have a cinematic mode. Where yeah, Metal Gear Solid did. Uh, Uncharted does now. Where I mean, you can basically enjoy this. It's basically an interactive movie where you can click a few things and you can feel like you're part of it, but you're never really going to lose. Well, like, and uh, The Last of Us 2 has some insane accessibility now where I think the accessibility <laughs> is so good. You can play it. You can play Bl- almost blind, almost deaf and blind. So that's, they, they put, that's cool. I don't I don't know even how they did it, but they have like a 100 toggles and like a vibration and like some sound in something system where they've shown that if you're blind, you can almost play it. Well, that's cool. <laughs> um, so, yeah. so just give it another 20 years and you can still play that game. <laughs> the, the last, the last, I, I want to ask you a question as a last sort of thought of this whole train, because we started off talking about future yeah. graphics cards and future consoles. As cool as the new stuff is, I also see this going somewhere else, which is games like Fortnite and GTA Online do not require fancy, expensive computers or consoles to play. I mean, for Pete's sakes, GTA 5 came out on the PS3, not even the PS4. Mm -hmm. Uh, As cool as the new $500,000 Ampere graphics cards are, as cool as Big Navi is, as cool as these new consoles are. Yeah. The truth of the matter is graphics... At some point, it's kind of like the move on televisions where when we went from tube TVs at standard def to 1080p high def, whoa, that was a big Wow, it was, yeah. Even just 720p was huge. But the move from 1080p to 4K, while, yeah, you could do a side-by-side comparison and yeah, with the right source material and the right quality and the right equipment, it's impressive. I think a lot of people go, eh, that's expensive. Mm -hmm. My 1080p is fine. And the question is, 
Will we have a segmentation of the marketplace where five years from now, 10 years from now, people will still be able to play games like Fortnite on five-year-old, 10-year-old computers? And yeah, ray tracing and yeah, this cool stuff's out. But will we see new games five years from now that don't use that, that will run on 200R computers? Because the truth is, a lot of people just don't care. <laughs> I mean, I think absolutely. I, I actually have two thoughts about this. The first one is, yes, absolutely, there's going to be this segmentation. And in fact, I think we already have it where you have people who are happy to just get, I mean, get ready for the new Ryzen 4000 series APUs to come to AM4, and plenty of people will be happy to just game 1080p low at 60 frames. All of these games that will run fine and look fine. Um, at the same time, I think we're closer to photorealistic graphics than people suspect. And I think once we get there, we're just there. It's in. We're at photorealistic graphics. We will get higher frame rates. Maybe 240 hertz will be standard for 3,000 builds and you know $3,000 builds in five years. You know, some point we'll go to that in 8K, I'm sure. But I, I think once it's there, you're just going to see them keep die shrinking the same architectures and making it run on cheaper and cheaper and smaller and smaller devices until I'm playing GTA 6 on a smartphone that I plug into a TV. And I think that's the ultimate goal is just doing that. Also, so that you can, by the way, put that smartphone-sized computer in a head VR device so you don't need any cables. That, that's where I see it going. Do you think we're really going to get 8K at the consumer level ever? Um, see, it's an interesting question. If you'd have asked me two years ago, I'd be like, absolutely. You know, I've seen 8K displays. And one thing people miss is the way we shoot movies and TV shows now does not take into account what you can do with higher resolutions. Like there was this short film done to demonstrate it. And they did it in an apartment block, kind of almost like a Wes Anderson movie where they cut the apartment in half so you could see kind of what everyone was doing in their daily lives inside. And on an 8K TV at a reasonable distance, you could see what every single person was doing in their apartment at the same time. And so this is a level of storytelling we couldn't do before where you can actually show detail in the distance. So I think there's a certain degree of that coming that we haven't thought about. Same thing with frame rates. But And, and, and do I think 8K will come to consumers though? Yes, but not as quickly as I thought, because I think 4K is going to be overwhelmingly close enough for most people for the next five years. I think we'll get to 8K when we have devices 10 times stronger than now. And we're like, I guess we'll do 8K because it's easy. That's my answer. I don't know if you have any thoughts, Dan. I mean, my thought on it is, I mean, there was that study that came out like probably four or five months ago that was yes. said most people can't tell the difference between 4K and 8K at five and seven feet, I think. Mm -hmm. um, so, and it seemed like a decent study too. Sometimes uh, those studies are like, you know, but go so on. I don't see it coming to the market unless it's so easy to manufacture that you might as well just, I don't know, spend the slight more money to get 8K. Uh, but Which I, is where 4K is at now with TVs, right? I mean, they're like barely yeah. any more than a 1080p. So it's like, I, I don't see 8K being in the consumer market that much until it's that cheap to manufacture. And maybe at a certain point, uh, manufacturers just won't care about trying to achieve that at a wide scale for uh, the commercial audience. So maybe it never will happen because 4K is good enough. But I, if I had to bet, I would bet that it, we will get it at some point. Rogue, we've got a 4K TV here at the office. Yep. 
And we have a 1080p TV. I, I was just thinking you were just thinking of that, weren't mm-hmm. you? We uh, for for those of you listening, um, we have a, 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 a separate office for filming, and we've got a a very very nice uh, 4K 55 inch OLED TV that Samsung sent us. Thank you, Samsung. Mm. Um, <laughs> ridiculously expensive, and it's it's pretty and it's nice and it's lovely. At home, we have a seven year old 1080p TV. And I've mentioned this to our viewers, several of whom are like, what? A tech channel has a seven-year-old basic 1080p non-HDR TV mm-hmm. at home? Non-smart well, TV. When I'm using one right here as a side monitor. <laughs> well, here's the thing. They're like, so so when are you getting the new the new Samsung? When are you getting yeah. the new LG, the 120 hertz? You're gonna, I'm like, my TV's fine. What's wrong with it? But it's not 4K. <laughs> I actually have both, and I feel no drive. I can see the difference. It's not that I'm claiming there's no difference. Mm -hmm. It's that for the money and the trouble it takes to change, I don't care enough. You mean to remount a new TV or something? Right, and to spend all the money. and to. I have a 1080p monitor still here that I'm using. I actually do have a color accurate 4K on the way for my channel. But if it wasn't for that, I'd for gaming, you know. <laughs> I might keep using this. We have an Xbox One S 1080p console plugged into our 4K TV here at the office. Mm-hmm. Now we do have a 4K streaming stick, an Amazon 4K stick. So but nobody seems to care. I mean, our kids play Fortnite here at the office when we're working. In fact, they're probably out there right now playing 4K as we're as we're doing this. <laughs> they, they don't complain. They don't care. I mean, Mini Deals has got a 1080p screen monitor. Junior Deals has 1440p. Princess Stormy has what 1080p. Can they see the difference? They they don't complain between going from the 4K TV to their monitors. So when I talk mm-hmm. about 8K, I mean I think 4K still isn't there. I mean look at the computer hardware it takes to run PC games at 4K. It's expensive. I don't think it will be for much longer though. That's one thing I will say. And I actually don't think it's as expensive as look ultra settings these days are like unnoticeable to high in the half your frame rate half the time. So that's one thing I would say. Do you think the new RTX 3060 and whatever the equivalent big Navi will, will play say high detail 4k 60 frames per second in new games? Absolutely. In my opinion. And without a doubt. In fact, I think the 3060 will be, so let me think about it at a minimum around a 2080. And I, and yeah, that's what I think with better ray tracing. That's my expectation. We'll see if I, what price I'll do you surp- think it'll come out at? It all depends on AMD's price. <laughs> so I hope, <laughs> I hope big Navi is good. I, so I think NVIDIA wants to keep the same price as they had before. And there's a lot of evidence they were considering going with something 20 to 30% better again on eight nanometer, actually, because it's cheaper from Samsung. And they changed their minds when they realized AMD may actually be competing because they want to keep the same price point. So the rumors are that the 3890 actually is what they might call it. We'll see. Let's just say it's called that. Uh, the 3090 might be a 350 watt card. So I get the impression NVIDIA is pushing these things hard so they don't lose the performance ground. Now, hopefully this won't be another Vega situation where they push everything to the max and then it just comes out and, oh, I guess we didn't need to push it. Do you, um, do you remember Fermi? Oh, yeah, yeah I got yeah. one right here. I just did a review of a three gigabyte GTX 580. I did a 2020 review of it. It actually aged better than you would think compared to Kepler. 
But I mean, in terms of heat power consumption and. Um, yeah, the 480 yeah. was terrible. Yeah, the 480 <laughs> is the one I remember. I was on AMD back then because some of those cards in that first generation of Fermi were pretty brutal, but they got better, obviously, once they went to, to Kepler and Maxwell. Uh, 350 watts on a consumer card is a lot. Most people won't buy that, right? They'll probably have it like 300, 250 watts, for the, I think, for the 3080. And so that's just so they don't lose the crown. There is a rumor that AMD may consider pushing their top card to, I don't even know if I want to say it, like 375 to 400 watts. <laughs> like they may just put a liquid cooler on it, put caution to the wind and say, no, but we won by 5% this time, ha huh? uh, They did make a 500 card once. Do you remember the R9 yeah, they do. 5X2? And, and so, yeah, so people who yeah. say that's out of the realm of possibility, eh, they've done it before. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I, believe it or not, owned one of those cards and hmm. I got a deal on it. Those were really expensive when they launched. My, my lovely wife wrote 1500 bucks. Yeah. Chuckling because she knows how I love deals. Um, I got one and I used it because I was triple monitor gaming at the time in MMOs. But the at that generation of AMD, because it was Crossfire. For those of, for for those mm-hmm. listening who don't know, the R ninety five, the R nine two ninety five X two was a pair of R nine two ninety Xs on one card in Crossfire. So it was a single card Crossfire card. Just straight up, too. It wasn't even really underclocked. <laughs> no, and it wasn't. And it was a 500-watt power draw. It was very demanding. It was liquid-cooled with 120-millimeter AIO built into it. Mm-hmm. But it, at that time, AMD's drivers had micro-stutter and frame-pacing issues yep. that make mm-hmm. today look like nothing. Any issues oh, yeah. today in Crossfire, are, it was awful back then. And I actually sold that card, and I bought a GTX 980 Ti, which was slower but much smoother. So do you think we'll see a, a big Navi card that's two chips in Crossfire? My gut is no. Dan, you look, you have a strong yeah, no, opinion. No, it's not a strong opinion. No, I, I I don't think we'll see that. I think, I feel like personally Crossfire and SLI are pretty much dead. Maybe they'll make a comeback at some point, but. That's my opinion too. I think it's just, I just think, I really do think Crossfire's dead. Like it's gone. Like they've decided they don't want to do it. The rumor is NVIDIA may have SLI again in next gen, but that they literally may only have it in the very top die. And that and it's just so they can win benchmarks. And I think it makes sense for the very top couple of cards to program for SLI, but those are the only people that wanted it. It doesn't even make sense from a business perspective to let people buy two 3060s instead of a 3090. It, like, I don't even know why you would allow that, especially with all the work that goes into drivers to make it work. Well, they didn't on the last ones. The The 1060s didn't. No, they didn't. The, 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 correct me if I'm wrong. 2080 does, though. The 2070s can't envy Link either. It's only the 2080s? Nope. That's correct. Yeah, 2070 Super can because it's the same die cut down, but the 2070 can't because that's when they gave you the what would normally be the 60 die is the 2070 because AMD wasn't competing. Come on, AMD. We need some competition. It benefits everybody. Yeah. Well, I've got a couple reader mails here to wrap things up. I think we're almost at two hours. Um, well, let me see. This one's not a reader mail, but let me ask this. In the past few years, what release was your biggest letdown from AMD, NVIDIA, or Intel? In the past the- five years? Yeah, what graphics card came out that you were hyped about process or whatever that came out that you went, oh, wow, that's just not what I was expecting. Oh, man, that's interesting. Um, 
I would say the ninth gen from Intel, the lack of hyper-threading on anything besides the i9 was a mistake. <laughs> yeah. I think it, it really made it hard to recommend anything from Intel because it just, it's like, come on. And of course, they fixed it now with the 10th gen, but it's like the 10th could have been the ninth and then whatever. Yep. As far as graphics cards go, the Vega cards. <laughs> Vega. Vega was... I'm the hype around it, too. It has its fans. I've never used a Vega card that I actually would recommend. I, I'm actually a Vega person. I've gone from a... But you have to understand, I had an entire rig of six Vegas ma- mining Ethereum for me, so I couldn't have liked Vega more. <laughs> well, that's different. I'm, I'm yep. thinking from a gamer's point of view. Look, if it works sure. for mining, rock on. Who cares? Or rendering or something. Sure. But strictly from a gaming point of view, I can't think of a time when Vega ever made sense. But here's what's funny. People think I've hated AMD in the past because I've said Vega sucks. I've done several videos on Vega, and I'm like, from a gaming point of view, Vega is hot and unstable. I have a lot of reader mails that say that I should bring up Vega to you, by the way, that you you hate it. But here's the funny thing. I think the RX 580, which was really just an RX 480 refresh, is one of the Mm -hmm. best deals if you had bought that when it, lo- it launched three years ago almost three years ago not quite three years ago it launched yeah 220 ish no over three years ago if, the 580 technically was early 2017 if you bought that eight gigabyte vram in 2017 you still can play 1080p high detail in like 99 percent of games and it's stable and it's not too hot mm-hmm. but of course i also point out that the rx 580 is an RX 480, which was really an R9 390X, which is really an R9 290X. Mm-hmm. But it's it's graphics core next, totally optimized. I love it. My daughter has one in her computer, and I don't have a lot of AMD cards in any of my computers, but the RX 580 is an exception. It's a great, great card. NVIDIA shell confirmed. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, to be honest, why do you buy AMD? Money. There's no other, uh, there's how many cards in the past five, let me turn this around and ask you, if Mm -hmm. money was no object, if people, if you had the option of free graphics cards, what graphics card from AMD in the past five years would you have picked over the then available NVIDIA card if they were all free? Uh, Mm -hmm. Maxwell was 2014 and 15. So it depends how far back we go, right? Um, If money was no object, I would certainly probably pick Pascal, right? over the 480 because unfortunately AMD didn't even compete in the high end back then. So for sure, right. Back then I would have gotten Titans. Sure. If money was no object, I would have gotten Titans and they can render usually pretty well too. So, well, the, but you, I've had a lot of driver problems with NVIDIA actually. You had a, like a ton of them. You had a fury, right? Yeah. That I got super cheap. The competitor, but yes, the competitor to fury at the time would have been the GTX 980 Ti with six gigs of VRAM. Your car- well, 980, really, right? Fury, Fury X competed well, with the 980 we're, Ti. We're removing money as a limit. Sure. No, that's what I, I would say. I would get some of the Maxwells and Pascal. But outside of that, I'm just being honest. I had so many driver problems with NVIDIA Intel recently, 
which now I'm I've let them out of the doghouse. I would I'm I'm open to Ampere. This is their first chance to prove to me that they don't suck. And and there will be a lot of people that call a lot of people call me all types of fanboys. I'm I'm an Nvidia shill because of my Ampere videos. I'm an AMD shill. Now I'm an Xbox fanboy because of my last video. So yeah, I mean, but I'm just being honest. The amount of driver problems I had with NVIDIA, especially with Kepler and Fermi, was absurd to the point that I couldn't get some systems to work. And I had several cards have to be sent back. And I said, I will not buy these cards for 10 years or something. (laughs) And and that was that. And Dan, you had it even worse than me. Oh, yeah. I I had a lot of driver issues, cards uh, breaking, stuff like that with uh, NVIDIA. I mean, I would say I'm open to Ampere, but if I'm being honest, it's not that I have anything against Ampere. It's just that I'm probably going to not get either Ampere or Navi 2. I I think I'm just going to stick with my Vega 56 until I need to upgrade, which you've been insulting him because he has Vega, by the way, which I don't feel (laughs) I don't feel insulted. (laughs) My opinion does not invest. I try to tell people all the time. My opinion should not invalidate your opinion or your experience if you're happy then stop listening and be happy and that's cool i'm I'm glad you're happy i don't want you to have a bad experience just because i have an opinion really quickly on the history of drivers you're absolutely right i'm 100 with you the fermi and the kepler era was god awful when it comes to nvidia drivers if you go Ah, thank you someone else says it (laughs) the terra scale era and before for AMD was a problem and and Nvidia in the uh Tesla era in the 8000 to the 200 series but if you mm-hmm. go back before then the the 5 series the FX of uh, in the mid 2000s from Nvidia was equally awful so Nvidia it's like yeah. every couple of years they're great and then every couple of years they suck so it, you almost kind of have to switch back and forth if you want to get the good drivers Right. And, and the funny thing is last, uh, this recent fall and winter, me and Dan were like, okay, what is going on with these AMD drivers? Like it was at a level that I had, which all I did is just say, whatever, I'll just keep using my drivers from October for five months. But like, I, and they're fine now they're totally fine now. But I, that made me go, that was really what made me bring NVIDIA out of the doghouse is I was like, well, you finally did it, AMD. You have drivers as bad as the Fermi generation. And so now I'm, well, now I'm open to getting Ampere for sure. Yeah, the, those drivers, it was just like, oh, I guess my system just crashes every 24 hours now. Awesome. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I'm open to getting Ampere this gen if I think it's a good enough upgrade from what I'm already gaming on. But given that I'm a soon-to-be graduate student, I'm operating on quite the budget. So, <laughs> I'm excited for anybody listening. Let me offer this, this closing thought on graphics cards. I'm excited about the fact that the cards coming out this fall appear to be more evenly competitive than we've seen in years. Yeah. And we've got yeah. basically AMD is, a, is one refresh ahead in the sense that they've done one generation of cards on seven nanometers. So AMD's got the benefit of a little bit more seven nanometer experience. NVIDIA's got the money to maybe do it right the first time potentially. But in terms of capability, it looks like we'll have new full featured competitive cards with similar feature sets from both companies top to bottom from the from the $250 cards all the way up to the $800 cards. And it's been years since that's been true. 
And I'm excited. Mm-hmm. Regardless. Oh, of- it's been so long. Yeah. That's what I was used to. You know, we came in during the 400 from NVIDIA, the 6,000 series, 5,000 series from AMD, 7970, 290X versus Kepler. Me and Dan had like our first five years of PC gaming, we were used to AMD having the performance crown half the time. And then just this, and now I have to admit it though, I mean, the past, I don't know, six, seven years, the past maybe five to six years, it's been NVIDIA just on top. And so now I've finally maybe been in PC gaming longer with NVIDIA on top than AMD. And it's just, it's hard to remind people that when, that say there's no way AMD can beat NVIDIA. It's like, well, I don't know. I remember a time where they were on top most years. A lot of people who think Intel is dead today, speaking of which with AMD, is, yeah. they're like, oh, AMD is, uh, guys, 20 years ago, AMD was the first to a one gigahertz CPU. This has yep. happened before. They had a 40 megahertz 386 when Intel didn't. Mm-hmm. AMD has been on top before in both graphics cards and CPUs. The only people who benefit are consumers from competition. I mean, I, all I want to see is awesome options. So whether you buy AMD or NVIDIA or Intel or AMD, you get great value for the money and the companies are forced to earn your business because it sucks when there's monopoly. Yeah, yeah, and 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 you know what the funniest part is? I'm now starting to see it on the shoe on the other foot again with CPUs because I did ju- I just did this massive, expansive set of information. I knew three people with Intel's roadmaps, <laughs> and then two other people that work with Intel who could kind of spot check things and say, "I've heard of this, I haven't heard of this," and I put it together with this massive leak on Alder Lake coming out late next year and all of that, and it looks like it could be very. Very good. I'm talking Sandy Bridge level IPC increases, at least with big little. So there's background atom cores for your background tasks and streaming from the SSD. And I'm like, that sounds impressive if they can make it work. And and people are going, there's no way they can. Intel's dead. And I'm like, hmm. I don't, well, we'll see. I don't know. Intel's done a good job before, too. It's so funny to see people just forget in just a few years that Intel can swing back, too, eventually. Do people not remember the Pentium 4? No. I'll just answer no. your question. They apparently don't. <laughs> because there was a whole chunk of the 2000s when, if you were at all a serious gamer or serious PC user, you were buying Athlon, and the Pentium 4s were just business machines. Mm hmm. I mean, yeah, it's it, it, Intel will swing back at some point. Intel will be back on top and they will probably be back on top sometime in the 2020s. I don't know what year in the 2020s it will be, but they will be on top again at some point. And I just hope AMD is ready to swing back again instead of uh, letting Sandy Bridge destroy their entire lineup, waiting three years and launching Bulldozer to a year and then launching Bulldozer as their response. That's what's so bad about Bulldozer too, is it was actually the response to them already losing. <laughs> well, AMD was competitive 10 years ago with Phenom. And if they had continued yes. down the path of Phenom and, and never had done Bulldozer, the past 10 years would have been very different. I yeah. agree. Yeah, I did a video on like if they made a Phenom. I loved Phenom too. Um, I used the $10 Phenom 2s off of eBay to power my mining rigs, so I still have a few sitting around here. But um, And I, I think if they would have just die shrunk that and gave it six cores, it would have been a way better outcome <laughs> than Bulldozer. Um, 
But, you know, at the same time, you almost wonder if they wouldn't have been more desperate would they have made Zen. Having said that, well, if they had more money, maybe they would have made Zen two years sooner. I don't know. What AMD has accomplished with with Zen and Zen 2 on their unbelievably limited budget, they do deserve (laughs) credit for that. Because Intel has all the money in the world and coasted, and AMD for pennies on the dollar has come out with something awesome. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I think that might be a good note to end on. We're going a little over two hours here. Are there any other subjects you guys want to cover or bring up? I mean, we'll be here for another few questions if you have anything. Otherwise, obviously, you're invited to come on again sometime. I've had fun. I'm sitting here going two hours. I don't want to be done. We can think of other <laughs> things, but that, that's a topic for another time. I could, I, you know, we've talked about so many different things today between resolutions, between consoles, between video cards. I think it's a great time to be a gamer. I think it's a great time to be a PC user. I think it's much better than it was a few years ago. And regardless of who mm. you're a fan of, it's just, it's much more exciting today than four years <sighs> it's, ago. Yeah. I, I honestly think it's the most exciting since I can remember. And I remember two years ago going, I think we're back to like the early 2000s level of competition. At this point, I think the next three years will be more competitive than we've seen in the last 20. Like, I really think this is like a benchmark when I look at what Intel's working on AMD and NVIDIA. And this is right on the precipice of having all of this 3D stacking technology added as well. It's it's ridiculous what we're about to see, I think. Yeah. And for years, I, I, I was almost uninterested in the PC market just because not like not buying stuff, but just uninterested in the market in general, because it's like, Oh, still bulldozer, still uh, another four core i7. And it just wasn't interesting for a while. I remember when uh, this was a funny conversation I remember I had in college with you, Dan, when they announced the Fury with HBM. And you were like, what? We finally get a graphics card without just GDR5? <laughs> I mean, that was there since the 4000 series. That was hilarious how long it took for anything new to come. And now we're talking about, I don't know, 6144-bit. HBM 2E Ampere cards and absolute. I mean, more more RAM on the graphics card than both of our gaming desktops put together. That's actually a topic I'd like to talk about maybe in the future. It would take too long to get into it now, but <laughs> the the upcoming PCI Express, not just five, but six bus, what's the mm-hmm. possibility that the, up maybe not DDR5, but DDR6 ends up, can we get a unified bus on the computer between graphics, RAM, and CPU and have shared RAM on the PC like we're seeing on the console? That's what IBM's working on, I believe, right now. I do think that the ultimate future for... if you And this is a video I did. If you look at building a PC 20 years ago, you'll it's funny to look at the list of components. There's like 20 things. It's like case, motherboard, sound card, uh, Ethernet card, like it's just like ten different cards that they're putting into this PC to power all of these different things. And you go five years ago, graphics card, processor, motherboard, hard drive. Okay, now it's down to like four core components. And I think that we could get to a future where there's just an APU and they balance the performance of the CPU with the graphics card. And then if you're gaming, maybe you get sticks of GDR something. If you're doing some type of rendering, you get sticks of HBM. Um, that's kind of how I see it, where you just pick memory, APU, motherboard. 
Now, of course, that might be not happen because they might just have to 3D stack the memory on the APU to scale performance. And then I guess, then I guess it's just <laughs> APU motherboard, pick RAM if you need extra. I would like to see socketed GPUs on the motherboard because you've got a distance problem with the graphics card. Imagine if you had a yeah. unified RAM yeah. and two sockets, one for the CPU, one for the GPU, pick your choice. Intel may be working on that right now. I would not be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's where we will end it on an optimistic note. Thanks for coming on. Come on again. Thank you, Dan, for joining hey. during a guest episode with your adorable dog just sitting on your bed in the background the entire time. I was a little worried she would... uh do her one monthly bark during the podcast because she was eyeing that window for the entire time. <laughs> well, thank you very much for having us. It's been fun. Yeah, thanks for coming on. The following podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Laws Dead. Moore's Laws Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Laws Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and select technical editing by Carbon Cry. You can find all of our information, including how to get a hold of us, at www.moreslawsdead.com. And if you are a fan and would like to send mail or other hardware, please mail parcels to Moore's Law is Dead, P.O. Box 10468, Peoria, Illinois, 61612. And speaking of fans, without exaggeration, the patrons are solely responsible for the continued distribution of the content you just listened to. And so if you have some extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast, Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, the Moore's Law is Dead Discord full of like-minded people who would love to meet you. I am one of them. The Discord is only at $1, and at higher tiers, you get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the back catalog of Flyover States podcast, thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts and other perks as well. And if you cannot afford to support us, please just share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media and Reddit. And give Broken Silicon and Flyover States a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. All of this really does help so much more than I think anyone realizes. If you'd like to advertise on the podcast or a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its fans supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Bootman, Carbon Cry, Dean, Benny Berlin, Justin Yant, Thomas Rupp, I Love You, Lennon Jim Bollocks, Jordan Betcher, Muhammad Al Kawari, Frederick Lau, James Crasta, Justin Parrish, Zachary Martin, Terrence Herod, Brad Menlin, Phil S., Thy Rister, The Ninth Dude, Greg Renegar, TSPCFS, Chrysantine, Night Rogue 77, The Mechanical Philosopher, Lebo Kinkilo, Fatboy Diesel, Daniel Hyde, Matthew McMullen, Christoph Novak, Neil X01, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Sexy, VI Pass, Sadler Sadler, Richter Cohagon, Alethros, Telos, Hey there, uh, Zakitty, Greg T. Wanchek, Jacob Barber, XOT, Hector Santana, Matthew Lane, Paul Jones, Jan Rauner, Robert Ducks, Drita Full, Allie Robertson, Hardforum.com, Jonathan, Job, Evan Dingle, Nick Neasy, Dominic Dewart, Harold P. Bureau, Wayne, Sam McArthur, Total Silo, Sol Connor, Michael Costa, Andrew S., Blake, Aaron Keith, AJ Klein, 
Endless Loggins, Tom Sanfilippo, Justin Brennan, Archon971, Trevor Powers, Garrick Scholl, Elnya, Joshua Stavenis, Daniel Nishpal, Franco Frederick, Hardware Numbers, Alex Carastillo, Dominique Koch, Leighton Perry, Eric Johns, Jackson, Dark Rain 2049, and Jack O'Neill. And of course, thank you again to Tech Deals for coming on. We had a great time. And thank you to Sahara for the music. Music.